And good morning, everyone, or good afternoon, or good evening, depending upon what the case is on your particular location on this rotating globe. Welcome to another edition, live toward the end of February of 2023, of The Other Side of Midnight, that magical time between dusk and dawn, when impossibilities are seriously considered and we've got the evidence to back them up. This is going to be a very interesting program because it's kind of like a part two of the homage to uh, Dr. Carmen Bolter that we did a couple weeks ago. Um, we really seem to be on the cusp of all kinds of pretty amazing and extraordinary things. And while most people are looking at the world at this uh, changing tapestry as a series of disconnected, you know, random events. Um, Our own analysis and our own work going back decades into the social implications of the hyperdimensional model indicate that at some level, these things that appear to be disconnected are in fact much bigger than the sum of their parts, that they really are at a moderately accessible level now. They are connected. And I'm going to kind of go through some background as a prelude to when Sam joins us, because one of the really amazing things that, you know, was only amazing in the sense of the information that she was able to put together. But for those of us that believe in this ancient high-tech epic of civilization prior to the canonical, you know, 6,000 years in the Bible and in Sumerian records, et cetera, et cetera, that we're looking at a much, much, much earlier extraordinary scientific and philosophical and technological epic. And what's really weird And so affirming, as we're going to talk with Sam tonight uh, about all this, is that the independent estimates gleaned from Sam's work, from Carmen's adaptation of the model to fit a larger frame, Egypt and beyond, and the actual hard data, the evidence from our own completely independent ancient extraterrestrial archaeological discoveries. What's really cool is this all converges like in Bosnia at the same time frame. I think it was John um, uh, oh let's see what was his name I can't think of it. Anyway um, he, he wrote a book Serpent in the Sky and he was, you know, extraordinarily well-versed in the more, ca- more arcane aspects of ancient Egypt, particularly the, the kind of blending of the mythology and the numerology and the science into an amalgam that's not really readily accessible to mainstream left-brain science. But if you kind of get rid of those blinders and realize that at this ancient epic in human history, things were not decoded and laid out and presented the way they are now, that you need to make accommodations for a 
more unified, well, field theory, which of course is the holy grail of current physics. So before a certain time horizon, both myself and Carmen and Sam have all been looking at the same dates and the same epical events that then set in motion the things that are occurring all around the world tonight. Give you an example. Uh, for you who are new to the program, we have something called Radio with Pictures, which means that if you have a smartphone, you can listen and go to the website, the other side of midnight.com at the same time. That will take you to the uh, show page. Click on tonight's banner, which has a really good picture of Carmen standing. I think she's standing in front of the Sphinx, I think. But it could be anywhere, probably on the Giza Plateau. Uh, you can tell by <clears throat> some of the details of the erosion in the background. Anyway, you click on that. That will take you to the guest page. And Sam uh, Osmanagich is our primary guest tonight. Sam discovered, and we're going to go through for those of you who are new to his astonishingly crucial archaeological work, he has discovered a whole new genre of very massive, mile-sized, Sidonia-sized pyramidal structures looking like mountains or major hills arrayed in remarkable geometric patterns, the patterns, of course, are recursive of the whole hyperdimensional physics model. So whoever built the Bosnian pyramids and the pyramids in the northern island of uh, Japan and pyramids to the west in China and pyramids in the Far East, pyramids really, when you look at all the imagery now and all the search engine stuff you can turn up on pyramids, there are pyramids all over the world. And they all look pretty much the same. And according to our work, they all are intended to accomplish the same thing, which is to tinker with, adjust, amplify, modulate <clears throat> the hyperdimensional physics of nothing less than all of planet Earth. And this ancient, ancient grid was established a long time ago to do that, to basically tweak the force and because we have lost we've forgotten or more likely it has been suppressed from modern civilization who thinks it's so damn smart and is actually really pretty dumb um, this ancient science this ancient technology is visible uh, in our midst even now even though we can't as a global society yet publicly do a damn thing about it so what you want to do now is you clicked on that banner that takes you to the guest page. And under the guest page, it says to listen to show. And then it says fast links to items. Click on my name. That takes you to my items tonight. I only have four. And we'll go through them quickly. But they're crucial as background to our conversation with Dr. Simon Osmanagich and the story of the linkage of the ancient Egyptian pyramids to the most extraordinary discovery that Sam has made man-made mountain-sized pyramids in Bosnia. So, you look at my first item there. The death toll from the Turkish-Syrian earthquake has now exceeded 50,000 
people. And they have not pulled any survivors from the rubble uh, now for several days. But the last survivors so beat the percentages of survivability in the situation, being buried under rubble in some kind of a pocket so you have air and you're protected from the elements and the ultra-frigid cold nights don't freeze you solid like a block of ice. Having gotten past all those filters, um, just a few days ago, a couple, three days ago, a baby, an infant, was pulled alive from the rubble, far exceeding by orders of magnitude the 24 hours or so that uh, is the optimum golden window for rescuing people buried in, under earthquake rubble. So there's some kind of, I call it a scientific miracle. I think it's a hyperdimensional effect on biology, which we should be looking at. And again, that backstops to what Sam and Carmen through him is going to talk about in terms of the ability of these ancient massive structures to measure the invisible, to literally resonate with the invisible torsion field changes and manipulations going on silently all around us. And all we are seeing in this model is the effect like this incredibly massive double uh, Turkish earthquake of 7.6 and 7.8 within, you know, minutes of each other in the same region, devastating, you know, hundreds of thousands, leaving them homeless and now killing in excess of 50,000 Turkish and Syrian citizens. So how does this connect to item number two? In the last few months, for sending off work that goes back to about 2009, the global community of geologists and geophysicists and planetologists, the people that kind of wonder about what's going on 4,000 miles beneath our feet, and they do it for a living, those people came up with an extraordinary discovery, announcement, revelation, pronunciation. As of a couple, three months ago, the mainstream science community all over the world was posting incredible interesting papers and articles relating to the fact that the Earth's inner core, which many decades ago was discovered through earthquakes to be rotating faster than the outside of the Earth, the mantle and, and the uh, crust. Somehow, around about 2009, the core slowed down to where it is now in sync again, in synchronization with the overall rotation of the bulk of planet Earth. And this is astonishing news. <clears throat> These kinds of changes, you know, they don't call them geological changes for nothing. They're usually supposed to take place over millions or hundreds of millions of years, not in the space of just, you know, a decade or so. But when this resynchronization happened, and remember, in the hyperdimensional model, all rotation is hyperdimensionally driven. Remember, rotation, rotation, rotation. So the idea of adjusting spins as modulating, as being modulated by the changes of the background physics, it's right in line with what we've been talking about for many, many years, including changes in the perceived 
rotation of the inner layers of Saturn by means of uh, radio astronomers and uh, uh, comparison spacecraft readings back when the Voyagers were first encountering uh, Saturn in all its amazing multidisciplinary wonder. Okay, so beneath our feet, beneath the feet of those in Turkey, in Syria, in China, all over the world, there have been these un, un, unseen, invisible, hyperdimensional geological changes. And in the model the other day, they manifested suddenly, tragically, in Turkey and northern Syria with incredible back-to-back -back earthquakes. I mean, there was another one a couple, three days ago, a 6.4. It killed something like eight people. And, you know, it's like you've survived the huge once-in-a-ten-lifetime sequence of events, and then you get knocked off by a trivial, you know, 6.4. It's just, well, anyway. <clears throat> so item number three, as this extraordinary, unusual biology uh, I'm sorry, um, uh, geology has been going on. If you look at climatology and meteorology and the weather, that's also been going crazy. Do you know tonight there's a blizzard in Southern California? A blizzard, which is, you know, winds in excess of something like 60 miles an hour and whiteout conditions and, you know, several tens of inches of snow per, you know, two-hour period. So it's all going on in Southern California and not just in the mountains. Is this another aspect, is this another manifestation of the tremors in the force, the fact that the current background physics is not only um, – uh, John Anthony West, that's the guy I was trying to remember. Sorry, sorry. Yes, and, um, yes, and, and his serpent in the sky was – a brilliant tour de force on what he called the legacy cultures to <clears throat> modern homo sapiens history. Anyway, item number four, our model is that these weirdnesses, including the scientific miracle of people living after that earthquake far longer than the manuals say they should be able to, what triggered the earthquake itself, uh, what's triggered now a blizzard in Southern California when it's almost spring out there, it all comes back to another bizarre anomaly that happened in the same time frame, and that is a massive filament swirling every eight days around the North Pole of the Sun, moving at something like 60 miles per second. Now, <clears throat> what's the connecting glue? If these are all manifestations of changes in the physics, and if the ancients set up a network based on this knowledge that would be tapped into the hyperdimensional changes that precede any of the normal three-space electromagnetic changes, <clears throat> up to and including earthquakes, then is it possible, and we're going to go through some of the, the questioning around this tonight with Sam, is it possible that what he has found and what Carmen measured in ancient Egypt <clears throat> and seemed to have been seen around the world in many other places in which Robin and I, using the Accutron technology, measured from Central America all the way to Stonehenge. Is it all related and ultimately do in fact the ancient pyramids that Sam has found form the backbone 
of an extraordinarily ancient early warning hyperdimensional system, which if we had not forgotten and or had the knowledge ruthlessly suppressed over the last several decades, if not longer, then we might have a network of existing ancient structures sensitive to changes in the torsion field, and thus we could have used them as an early warning system to prevent 50,000 people from dying in Turkey. My first guest this morning is Samir Osmanagic. He is a Bosnian-born Houstonian resident author, researcher, and businessman. Uh, Sam discovered an ancient pyramid complex in Visoko, Bosnia-Herzegovina, consisting to date of 11 artificial structures, the Bosnian Pyramid of the Sun, the Pyramid of the Moon, the Pyramid of Love, the Pyramid of the Dragon, the Temple of Mother Earth, Ratnika Tumulus, Dolovi Tumulus, and Jinji Tumulus, KT Tunnels, Underground Labyrinths, Ravne and Ravne II, and he has done something even more extraordinary. In companion with this seminal archaeological research, Sam has been able to establish a non-profit, non-governmental archaeological park of the Bosnian Pyramid of the Sun Foundation to pursue ongoing excavation and geo-archaeological work. And on that note, Sam, welcome back to The Other Side of Midnight. Thanks a lot. Hello, guys. How are you? Um, good evening to you. It's uh, already morning here in Bosnia. I am uh, like eight hours ahead. I'm very happy to be with you, Richard, and uh, <laughs> I'm give some updates to you. Well, let's start with who is Sam Osmanagic, really, and will the real Sam please step forward? How did you wind up? going from mainstream geology to the most far out and most important ancient archaeology that one can imagine? Well, I have been researching megalithic and pyramid sites in the last four decades. My PhD is uh, about the Mayan pyramids in Mexico, Guatemala, Honduras, El Salvador, and Belize. But I've extended my investigation to the pyramids in Peru, Bolivia, China, Indonesia, Cambodia, Australia, Canary Islands, Mauritius, Northern Sudan, of course, Egypt, and uh, some European countries with the pyramids, Spain, Greece, Italy. So after four decades of the research, I've concluded that almost everything they teach us about the ancient history and pyramids is wrong. The pyramids are not built only in Egypt and Mexico, but on all six continents. And uh, Egyptian pyramids, they are not built by the pharaohs, at least those that they are telling us about, and they were not tombs. But they were built much, much before that by more advanced civilizations. And back in 2005, armed with that knowledge about the pyramids around the planet, coming to Bosnia in the central town of Visoko to visit the local museum. But what really caught my attention was this, everybody called it natural hill, because it was covered by forest, 
soil vegetation but uh, I saw very regular geometry four sides four triangular faces corners the same slope from bottom to the top I took a compass and compass showed me that those four sides perfectly match cardinal points east west north and south and that's exactly how the pyramids are built in other countries with the pyramids covered by vegetation for example china 250 pyramids in the central province of shanxi and of course uh, mayan pyramids Guatemala, mexico and so on so back in 2005 i got permission from the government to do some preliminary research which uh, after you know, doing some geological core drilling, archaeological trenches, lab analysis, really confirmed that we do have an artificial structure just three to four feet below the soil. I started to uh, make some contacts at the University of Sarajevo, the capital of Bosnia, and the museums, I offered them collaboration, but they refused. They said, no, we don't have pyramids in Bosnia. We never had pharaohs. So I decided to you know, establish the non-profit foundations for the archaeological research. And in the last 18 years, it has become the most active archaeological site in the world. Every year. I have hundreds of volunteers, dozens of my workers, dozens of experts from different fields who come to Bosnia and uh, investigate the site with us. And our conclusion is that we do have what we named the Bosnian Valley of the Pyramids with at least six pyramids, which we named the Sun, Moon, Dragon, Earth, Love, and the Sixth Pyramid with the several uh, uh, tumuli. The tumulus is the artificial conical hill. We have them in the U.S. under the name mounds. For example, Cahokia mounds. And a huge network of underground tunnels. And so far we have discovered not two, but six entrances to underground tunnels. It's a huge prehistorical network consisting of passageways, intersections, chambers, and... Uh, didn't, you so get, finally, yes. didn't you get radiocarbon dating from a leaf under a major ceremonial rock somewhere in that labyrinth of tunnels? Yes. Now, it's, it's coming more and more exciting. You're right. Uh, in order to get the date or to get the answers to the major archaeological questions, which are the five questions are what? What is this? So we know that this is the pyramid complex. The second one is who. So far, we don't have that stella which will explain who really built it, but we realize it was a very advanced civilization. And the third one is when. Well, so far, we have done 28 radiocarbon dating mm. and uranium thorium analysis. And they all take us far, far back in the past. Maybe the most interesting was uh, on the Bosnian Pyramid of the Sun. Uh, three to four feet below the soil, we discovered blocks, rectangular and square blocks, in several rows, several layers. Between the top two layers, we discovered fossilized leaves. 
Mm. How did they get there? So for us, it's rather obvious, the context. Namely, somebody was pouring the concrete blocks because after the analysis, we got the information that those blocks were actually an artificially made concrete. So somebody was pouring the concrete blocks, first row, second, third, the wind was blowing, bringing those leaves, and they placed the final row of blocks. But those leaves who got the trapped back in the sandwich, obviously they got there during the construction time. So we sent them for the radiocarbon analysis and we got the amazing date, 29,200 years wow. plus minus 400 years. And this is radiocarbon date in order to get the uh, calibrated date, the calendar age. You need to add about 14%, which takes us back 33,600 years in the past. And Dr. Paula Violet, unfortunately late Paula Violet, you know, he, had, he did those calculations. So, more than 30,000 years. When you talk to the, you know, archaeologists, historians, you ask them what was happening then. They would tell you almost nothing. That was the era of the primitive cavemen. But it seems that they don't read about the sensational discoveries in the last couple of decades. We have more and more evidence uh, about very advanced pyramid and megalithic sites, much before the end of the last ice age, 11,700 years. Yonaguni monuments you know, of the coast of Japan on the bottom of the Pacific floor, you know, megalithic sites. Indonesia, our friend, Dr. Danny Hillman, he discovered pyramid in the western part of Java, Gunung Padang, the hill of light. And he did radiocarbon dating 28,500 oh, years. Oh, my, my. Exactly the same like in Bosnia. Bingo, bingo. And it, yeah, and it seems that some other major sites, like Machu Picchu in eastern Peru, it's not only the Inca site from 800 years ago, but there are at least three more cultural layers, three more different civilizations. And the first one, tens of thousands of years. And finally, we are coming to the Egyptian pyramids which are much, much older than 4,500 years. So obviously, if you have one anomaly, that's fine, but if you have so many sites around the world, they require that history books be pre-written. And what we do in Bosnia, Richard, unlike all other sites run by the established you know, uh, universities or museums, so the state, uh, sponsored research. In our case, it's a non-profit, non-government organization. So we don't have limits. We don't get funded from the government. As a matter of fact, we self-finance our activities. And there is no one to tell us what we can or cannot publish. So uh, amazing results when it comes to the dating. And 28 different datings are taking us in a period from 17,000 to 55,000 years back, but the majority of them about 30,000 years ago. One more thing, which is really a, a news. Since our last talk, we discovered, like I said, four more entrances to underground tunnels. And in one of them, which we call Ravne 3. What is Ravne? Ravne is the area in, in 
visoko rare means flat in Bosnian language. So in Rame 3, we discovered an open section of 65 meters or about 200 feet. So it's been there for a very long time. And it seems that uh, people are getting inside in different time periods because we are discovering uh, different artifacts, about 3,400 of them, mostly pieces of ceramics, but also some metal pieces. And they belong to different time periods, you know. Okay, uh, well, hold it there. We're at the bottom of the hour. My guest this morning is Dr. Sam Mismonigich. We are kind of reprising the history of his most extraordinary <clears throat> singular find, which was a set of extraordinary large ancient pyramids on the order of 30,000 years old, if we can extrapolate from the tunneling and the labyrinth under the pyramid to the time frame of the pyramid itself. Of course, that can be adjusted. We don't know, you know, this is not just an instant in time. There was an awful lot of stuff by an awful lot of people going on at this site for an awfully long time time. Where does that 30,000 year date come in? Is that the end? Or was that the beginning? And if it was the end, how much older are similar sites, not only in Bosnia, but around the world? You're on the other side of midnight. My name is Richard C. Hoagland. We shall return. Other side of midnight.com. Tune in to listen to Richard C. Hoagland and his fascinating guests. Join Club 19.5 to get access to exclusive member benefits. As a Club 19.5 member, you'll gain access to the rest of this show and all previous 350 episodes. Membership costs $9.95 a month, 33 cents a day. Support the broadcast that provides you with the most interesting conversation available. Talk radio at the cutting edge of science and thought. The other side of midnight.com. And welcome back, everyone, to this Saturday night edition on the 25th of February of 2023 of The Other Side of Midnight, going far, far back into human history at a time when so much independent evidence says this was the last preceding high-tech era. And then something catastrophic happened, not only to the human physiognomy, the human form, the human race itself, but to human memory, 
and consciousness, which in our model, pendant on the rise and fall of the background hyperdimensional physics. And whoever built this ancient pyramid network knew that, and in our model, it was a partial resetting of the field to allow for pockets of perchance high-level consciousness. Sam, am I all wet on this or am I on, on the right track? It seems to me that uh, in the past we did have a parallel, civil, you know, some form of advanced civilization and uh, Paleolithic and Neolithic man, because we do find some uh, tools that are telling us there are people living there, but at a very uh, low level. But at the same time, we do have some very advanced form of constructions. You go to Turkey, which you mentioned a couple of times already, the site of Gobekli Tepe, which was discovered back in 1995 by the German, late German archaeologist, Dr. Klaus Schmidt. He basically discovered a series of the megalithic circles. He uncovered three of them while he lived, and uh, they looked like a Stonehenge. They consist of um, mm. huge megalithic blocks, T-shaped, so very hard uh, uh, limestone. And the Turkish government, in the meantime, uncovered three more. So six total is what you can see nowadays. But when I spoke to Dr. Schmidt uh, eight years ago, he told me there are at least 100 of them. Uh, what you can read on the non-scientific sites like Wikipedia or Encyclopedia Britannica, they are telling us 11,600 years. But when I spoke to Klaus, he told me between... 15 and 18,000 years. Hmm. An interesting thing is what they teach us in schools. In order to build such a huge megalithic site, people needed big agricultural civilizations like five, 6,000 years back. Only when there were big cities, 100,000 people, uh, huge agricultural production, people had some extra money. So they could play and uh, build those structures. However, 11,600 or especially 15,000 years back, no agricultural civilizations. And a matter of fact, Richard, in the wider area of Gobekli Tepe, not a single residential house was discovered. You know, when you have such a huge megalithic site, you would expect really a city of 100,000 people, and no residential houses. How is that possible? Well, given that people don't work any harder with their muscles now than they did 10, 20, 30,000 years ago, if you've yes. got a huge area of archaeological ruins and there's no room for the construction workers, the guys who built the place, yes. obviously right. Right. It, it's got to be a whole different origin than the standard model of people stacking up stones or p piling up dirt. Exactly right. Now, let, let's remember those, uh, you know, bedtime stories about Egyptian pyramids being built by 100,000 slaves. I mean, <laughs> even if we agree that 4,550 years back, the pharaoh of the fourth dynasty, Khufu or Kelps, 
you know, built the pyramid with 100,000 slaves. Well, where did he find 100,000 people? Because in all of the Who had nothing else to do? 100,000 people. Well, those 100,000 people, what were they doing before that they were conscripted into a pyramid army? So there are no 100,000 slaves. And, uh, but now, the Great Pyramid of Egypt has a height of 147 meters, about 475 feet. And imagine this, the Bosnian Pyramid of the Sun. At first we thought it was 220 meters, which was much higher than the Great Pyramid of Egypt. But lately, using the new technology, which we can mention later, which is called LIDAR, or LIDAR technology, we realize it is 368 meters or 1,200 feet. So this pyramid, when it comes to the material, is 10 times bigger than the Great Pyramid of Egypt. And you have the whole complex. Who was able to manipulate with tens of millions of tons of material? We can ask... So wait, 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 wait. Sam, Sam, what you're saying is since people couldn't do it, there's no evidence. The only Mm -hmm. alternative, remember Sherlock Holmes, when you considered all the possibles and the only thing left is the impossible, go for that. So you're saying that the pyramids are evidence of an extraordinary high technology so that what would take 100,000 men and women 20 years could be done by three or four people over maybe a weekend. Exactly right. If we talk about the more advanced civilization, how can we describe them? We cannot. It is like the ant is trying to explain humans. I mean, they cannot. The same thing goes for us. How can we explain the methods, the tools, the knowledge of somebody who was much more evolved than us? Okay. This is if, the case. if you say that the biggest Let me rephrase it. What was the biggest inhibition, impediment to building the pyramids on the scale we've been discussing with people? (laughs) Well, of course, one thing is the material, how they manipulate with millions of tons. For example, the Great Pyramid of Egypt, six million tons of materials. But for me, the Giza Plateau is the, the... design project. It's not just one pyramid at a time. It was, you know, the, the, the whole complex. It was a plan. It was a, exact. It was a plan. The Cahokia Pyramid in the southwestern corner of the state of Illinois. The same thing goes for there. Today we have 120 pyramids. Most of them are steps pyramids. 120 of them. The largest, which they call monks. Mount, because mm. in the 17th century we had some French monastery over there. So the largest one had an equivalent, when it comes to the material, equivalent of 122,000 trucks, 20 ton trucks of material. Good. 122,000 trucks. So we're talking about the millions of tons of material. So this is one challenge. Well, hang on, hang on, hang on, because to me the biggest challenge has always been gravity. If you're dealing with gravity as we think we know it, then you can't do it with people. If you deal with a technology which can manipulate gravity, which is what our Accutron readings strongly, strongly imply, 
because of the changes of inertia we're measuring, then all bets are off. Three guys and a gal on a weekend with a picnic could have built a damn great pyramid because the material is not the problem. It's assembling it, slicing it, stacking it, and making the design of finished one against gravity. Gravity is no object. You can build pyramids all days of the week for the last 20,000 years. Well, you are right. The largest block in the second largest pyramid, the Kafre or Kafren, is 220 tons. Now, you're talking about 500 million pounds, 220 tons. And that one was shaped back in uh, Aswan. Aswan is 869 kilometers from the Giza Plateau, or about 500 miles. How did they move 220 tons from Aswan to Giza Plateau? When the well, Japanese hang on, hang on. Tried, if, if you yeah. solve the gravity problem with technology, then neither the shaping, the stacking, or the transport of that amount of material from anywhere on the damn planet becomes a problem. Exactly, if you solve that problem. Because what uh, we tried as our you know, 21st century civilization, like the Japanese a couple of decades ago, they tried to repeat the whole process. They cut a block of two tons, two tons, not 220, but two tons. And they uh, built a replica of the barge which they found on uh, hieroglyphic uh, uh, writings. And they placed it there in Aswan, and that barge sunk <laughs> in the bottom of the night. And then Mark Lerner, a Egyptologist, very good friend to Zahi Havas, tried to do the same thing, and the same thing happened again. So only one ton was the maximum load they could load on, the, on that barge. But how do you explain 220 tons? And, you know, so now we can see that every element of what they were giving us and the theory of how the pyramids were built was wrong and incorrect. So you had to have some more advanced technology. And like you said, gravity is a problem. So how do you, let's say, remove the gravitational force or neutralize gravitational force? If you can do that, then the transport and the building is becoming much, much easier. But it's not only the... Well, uh, hang on, hang on. In, in, in the modern era, there was a guy in Florida, an immigrant named Leed Scalman, and yes. all by his lonesome, the 90-pound weakling of the Charlie Atlas ads on the backs of comic books back in the 50s, this 90-pound weakling somehow built all by himself using this secret E.T., Egyptian technology, a wonderland, Coral Castle, which has all kinds of hyperdimensional energy outputs because Robin and I measured it again and again and again. So when, there's, when people read that little pamphlet in the office of, of the uh, Coral Castle, you know, uh, scenic park, it says in, in Leeds Scallon's own words, he figured out the secrets of the ancient Egyptians and it's obvious that he did. Yeah, Ed was a Latvian immigrant to the U.S., and they sent him to Florida because of his health. And then, yes, he did build the first park, and then, which he moved later on. And the well, Coral you, Castle you, you, is you, an amazing you, example do you know, of do one you know, person. Do you know why he moved it? Why? It was at the wrong latitude. 
he recalculated his physics and he had to move it north to be at the optimum latitude for what he was doing. But it shows that one tiny little man was able to, to make wonders. And even though there were some tools on the site, those tools can help me with a couple of hundred kilos, but not with the five tons. And not just for one man to do that. So obviously he knew some secrets we don't. And uh, you know, unfortunately, uh, it's rather hard, hard to read how he did it. But he did it. Well, to me, the most stunning example, the nine-ton gate at the back of the property in that back wall. You know the one I'm talking about? Yes, yes. When he built it in the 50s using this physics, using this application of manipulated torsion fields, he was able to, one guy, no helpers, to balance it so accurately that a little girl could push it with yes. her hand or even her fingers. It was yeah, with it, the fingers. Yes, it, exactly. it was it was more delicately balanced than the five hundred ton Palomar telescope, which requires a pretty sturdy guy to begin to move it by pushing against it with your hand. And it's mounted on what are called oil bearings. So the yes. only way that I can see that Lee Scanlon was able to balance the nine ton gate is if he could somehow neutralize the inertia so that he then could shift it exactly right geometrically so that it was mounted where the line of uh, gravity was directly through its center of mass. And it was so precisely balanced that in the 80s, when it stopped working because of corrosion, they brought in a, a couple of crane companies and you know construction workers and all that, and they, they remounted it but now it requires a very large amount of force to make it move and it stops immediately and they didn't get the balance right. How did Lee Scalden figure out the miracle when modern technology failed? Yes. Now, Richard, the material manipulation is one thing, but then the other thing that I'm seeing in those sites is the elements of sacred geometry. As you know, some of the elements are the number pi, 3.14, number phi, or golden section, 1.618, but also geometrical shapes like equilateral triangle, hexagon, Mm -hmm. and so on. It seems that the ancients knew if they apply those elements, they are getting some very interesting phenomena. For example, in the case of the Great Pyramid of Egypt, when you take those two lengths on the sides, 231 meters, two sides, 462 meters, divided by height, 147, the result is 3.14. So the number pi has been applied on several sites around the planet, megalithic sites and the pyramid sites. The Pyramid of the Sun in Teotihuacan in Mexico, to the north from the Mexico City, Instead of uh, number pi, we have square root of number pi. Mm. Uh, then uh, the golden section spiral, Fibonacci form. Uh, in the case of Egyptian pyramids, if you start the beginning point at the king, you know, Tots tomb, on this line, on this spiral, we have all three pyramids. In the case of Bosnia, we have at least two spirals. The first one is 
you start with the top of the Bosnian pyramid of the sun, and on this parallel we have the pyramid of love and two more pyramid hills. And the second one is, you start from the place where two rivers meet. In the Bosnian Valley of Pyramids, we have two major rivers. This is the beginning point. You start, you know, with the spiral, and you have top of the sun pyramid, you have entrance of the tunnels, and you have the cumuli complex. So, for the ancients, how they would lay out those structures was extremely important. Because if you have those elements, you have the movement of the energy, and now we are coming to the key point for the ancients. The pyramid sites, megalithic sites, they are all about the energy. What we have concluded, Richard, is that the shape of the four-sided pyramid is probably the most powerful geometrical shape when it comes to the energy four-sided for our planet. Maybe five-sided for planet Mars. But for our planet, it is four-sided. And we have proven that if you place four-sided pyramids perfectly oriented to cardinal points, you are, you, know, you are getting the energy amplifier. You amplify natural sources of energy. How do we know that? Because we have measured it. For example, below the Bosnian Pyramid of the Sun, we have an iron ore. Iron generates electromagnetic field. The pyramid amplifies it. We have measured it at the base and at the top. At the top, the signal is 50 times strong. And guess what? When I was with my Russian colleagues a couple of decades ago in Egypt, at the Red Pyramid site in Dakshur, we wanted to measure, of course, the Giza Pyramid, but it was impossible with all those soldiers. But the Red Pyramid, it's not so much visited, so you could pay them some money. So we climbed the top, and we measured at the base the same result. At the top, energy was, you know, much, much stronger. So Pyramid does amplify mm. certain energy phenomena. The second one, also very interesting, and it, and does it, it does it passively just by its geometry and what it's made from. Exactly. Well, we have several criteria. Geometry, for me, is number one. The construction material, the type of the material, is number two. The orientation is number three. Existence of underground uh, water, number four. Existence of you know, underground tunnels existence of resonance chambers, passageways, uh, some other elements like volcanic lines running under the pyramids, ley lines running under the pyramids. So we have several elements, and more elements you have, the pyramid becomes much stronger energy machine. And this is the major result that we got in Bosnia. Pyramids were not tombs for the rulers, or you don't have one dead body under the pyramid, but they were built to serve communities of living people, to serve and last for thousands of See, years. See, you and I never had this conversation. At least I don't think so. But from our work, totally separate, I came to the conclusion, and I had a couple of conversations with Carmen, that the pyramids were built in order to try to restore locally 
the level of the physics in the solar system before the war and before the catastrophe set in that basically degraded all life on Earth because of a lack of sufficient ground physics. So what, you, what they did is they built local amplifiers that not only changed consciousness, but also enabled them to do other things in technology that we can't currently do because we've forgotten how. You're right. The pyramids were actually used for several different purposes. Of course, one of them is to protect the you know, original energy field on the planet. But uh, let me go back to those natural sources that the pyramids amplify, and it will tell us the purpose. We are having several underground water you know, uh, flows you know, under the pyramids. And the water moves, it releases negative ions. And they measure the highest concentrations of negative ions on the planet under the Bosnian pyramid of the sun in those tunnels. What are the negative ions? These are some extra electrons in atoms or molecules. Well, they are very beneficial to our health. Namely, those negative ions being free in the atmosphere, they connect with the dust. They become heavy and they, you know, drop to the floor. So they clear the atmosphere from dust. They clear it from smoke. They clear it from pollen. Pollen. Imagine allergies in spring and summer. They clear it from all microbes. And microbes are viruses, bacteria, fungi, viruses. So if corona is a virus, so they protect you from corona. And we have so many examples in the last three years. So more negative ions, better for us. There is a company in the U.S. producing those air ion counters. And we have two of them in Bosnia. And we measure those concentrations wherever we go. When I move, you know, in Germany, South Africa, Egypt, U.S., I always take those instruments. So I know the concentrations around the world. In our homes, the concentrations are about 10, 20, or 30 negative ions per cubic centimeter, which is nothing. You go to the downtown of L.A. or Sarajevo or Munich, it's about 100, 150, very low. You go to the mountains in the pine tree forest, it is between 750 and 1,000, meaning is six times healthier on the top of the mountains in the forest. Of course it is. But when you go to the Bosnian pyramid tunnels, during the summertime, it is between 20,000 oh. to 60,000 negative oh, ions per cubic centimeter. And right now, in February 2023, we measured the highest concentrations ever. 212,000 negative ions per cubic centimeters. More than 200,000, this is the highest concentration on the planet. And what's happening, those negative ions, not only that they clean our body from all the microbes, viruses, bacteria, and so on, they help us to establish the balance, you know, when it comes to the high blood pressure, you know, it, uh, it balances the blood pressure. High sugar in the blood, it balances it you know, uh, asthma, all other kind of stuff. So it seems that the ancients knew that the pyramid has so many other features that they help us to protect what is the most valuable in our life, and that would be health. 
and energy field, like you said. But not only that, we've done more research, and we can talk you know, about it in the next hour. But it is so exciting and so amazing and so much to learn from the ancients. So like I said, the pyramids are not only about the challenges, how to manipulate with so much um, material, but also how to use other elements to get perfect complexes that can serve humanity. Hmm. Well, I'm very glad that you kind of converged on this idea that the pyramids were amplifiers to bring the physics back up to some free level, because that's, I think, why so much effort was devoted by so many different cultures. It became their prime objective to recreate this this environment where living was possible, humane living was possible. And what I also find amazing is this knowledge has both been forgotten and then ruthlessly suppressed. And we need it now. Like, have you noticed over the last several decades, you've been at this now there in Bosnia for 14 years. What was the first date when you figured out that these things were energy amplifiers in addition to being, you know, just kind of really cool mountain-sized pyramids? Well, we started our research back in 2005. And the first five years we spent proving that we have construction complex. But in 2010, we started bringing not only archaeologists, Egyptologists, uh, geologists, biologists, the classical sciences, not only geophysicists and high-tech stuff, but also experts in energy phenomena, physicists, electrical engineers. So from 2010 until present, for the last, what, 13 years, we've been focused a lot to the energy aspect. And what we came out with is really amazing. And we can talk about it, you know, after the break. Perfect. Absolutely perfect. We have hit it at the top of the hour. My guest this morning is Dr. Sam Ismanagich. We're talking about his incredible, remarkable discovery of mountain-sized pyramids breaking the mold on the cultural stereotype that pyramids were much smaller and only confined to Egypt. As you heard from the list he read, they're everywhere. And they're very, very old. Raising the question, what was their real purpose? Think hyperdimensional physics and torsion field technology, and you will have the answer. My name is Richard C. Hoagland. You're on the other side of midnight. We shall return. Tune in to listen to Richard C. Hogland and his fascinating guests. Join Club 19.5 to get access to exclusive member benefits. 
Listen to past episodes anytime on any device. Search the archives of over 180 episodes. Membership cost $9.95 a month, 33 cents a day. Support the broadcaster to provide you with the most interesting conversation available. Talk radio at the cutting edge of science and thought. The other side of midnight.com. And welcome back, everyone, on this Saturday night, grading inexorably into Sunday morning here in the land of enchantment. A lot of extraordinary things going on. Tomorrow night, you're going to want to definitely not miss the uh, big China moon show. Um, I've been doing a lot of research into China and their, uh, shall we say, eyes on the prize in terms of what's really on the moon. And there's all kinds of interesting new developments. There are new, stunningly detailed pictures of this ancient dome from our our friends and our colleagues, even if they don't say anything, they don't answer their email, <laughs> but they're putting out astonishing data confirming everything we have imagined about these extraordinary, extraordinarily expansive ancient lunar domes. I use the word domes plural because people cannot kind of wrap their minds around the idea that somebody with enough technology a long time ago, we're talking millions of years, tens of millions of years ago, tried to wrap the moon, did successfully wrap the moon in the equivalent of glass cellophane layers that you can see on the on the South Korean images and you can see on the uh, uh, Druckmuller images taken of the Earthshine facing the Earth during a total solar eclipse. Anyway, we're going to go into all that tomorrow night because, again, this is backing up the idea of a different kind of physics, a physics that basically laughs at gravity. Yeah, the reason people are telling me, oh, we can't have a dome around the moon is because gravity will beat you. Not if you beat it first. So, Sam, the implications of of this ancient science, this extraordinary knowledge that we have been deliberately, you know, kept from, as far as I can now reconstruct the politics, somebody has not wanted us to have access to this for a very long time, which is why any of the serious science you're doing has met with extraordinary opposition because if it gets its foot in the door, or as the um, Arab saying goes, the you know, camel's nose under the tent, then it's, everything comes down, all the restrictions are lifted, and we finally figure out who the hell are we and what are we doing in this place? Uh, you see, my research is telling me that when it comes to the pyramids, that there was no evolution a matter of fact, the largest pyramids in China, 20 of them, are at the same time the oldest. 
the most superior, the biggest ones. They were built from the superior materials like sandstone and granite. Those that came later, the inferior material, uh, mud brick, were used. The same thing goes for Egyptian pyramids. 28 largest stone pyramids. We have limestone and granite. Those that they came during the 12th and 19th dynasty, mud bricks. So the knowledge has been brought. Which, to by us. the way, Sam, are the most active torsion materials known to science, going back to Nikolai Kozarev and his experiments there in the old Soviet Union. He found that quartz inclusions in granite and limestone itself, because of the internal crystalline angles, they make the best damn torsion field transducers or amplifiers that you can imagine. Excellent. The percentage of quartz crystal in granite is up to 15%. Wow. But also limestone and the sandstone. And in some countries, we have uh, volcanic stone, like in Guatemala or Cambodia, which is also energy potent material because of the iron. So we see that the ancients were always using those energy potent materials. And quartz crystal has the ability to transform one type of the energy to another one. For example, in our case, we measure electromagnetic field, of course, uh, EM field on the, on the pyramids. But then EM is hitting the quartz crystal, and through the piezoelectrical effect, we have another form of energy, ultrasound. So we measure 28 kilohertz frequency of electromagnetism, and we do measure 28 kilohertz frequency of the ultrasound, and we do know that this particular frequency of ultrasound is the levitation frequency, 28 oh, kilohertz. Okay. But uh, I'll, I'll, I'll go back to that. But when you mentioned... Well, wait, 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 wait. You can't leave us there. How do okay. you know it's the levitation frequency? Because when I was working with Boris Saeed and a producer in New York on a special for NBC on the pyramids, Boris had found a little company that made ultrasonics that could could suspend on on sound waves a little pistol, a little, you know, a few nanograms, whatever. And he basically said, by analogy, this was what the text, some parts of ancient Egypt were saying, is how the blocks were levitated. Are you pointing to other experiments that say the 28 kilohertz frequency is the frequency to manipulate terrestrial gravity? It seems that uh, this is the case. You know, when you enter our tunnels under the pyramid, where we also measure 28 uh, kilohertz ultrasound, people feel light. Of course, uh, the strength of, you know, inside this frequency is not so big, so we don't really levitate in the tunnels, but we feel light. My mother, for example, you know, she got a few extra kilos as she's getting older. <laughs> you know, her, it's very hard to go even oh, to the yes. store. But then in the tunnels, you know, she feels like a bird. You know, she's going back and forth and hundreds okay. and hundreds All right. of here's, here's, here's my dumb question. Did you take a scale down there and measure any weight decrease? <laughs> you know what? No. And a matter of fact, I'm going to do that today. So next time you and I talk, I will tell you the results. <laughs> but, I, but, but I can tell you the results 
or something else you required me to do. If you remember five years ago, when you and I talked, you know, at your show, it was the year 2018, you told me, Sam, the total moon eclipse is coming on July 27th. Please go with your team and do the measurements on the top of the Bosnian pyramid of the sun. Because during the show, I announced that we measured the existence of the energy beam of the top of the sun pyramid, which was electrical in nature. It was 28 kilohertz, and it was getting stronger and stronger as it moves away from the top of the pyramid. And, you know, the scalar waves. So that's exactly what we did. I had my team on the top of the sun pyramid first in the morning before the eclipse. The, the eclipse was uh, coming that evening. Super. So in the morning we went, we did the measurements, and we got our you know usual uh, 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 values. But then we went in the evening, and I think the eclipse in Bosnia was from 9:15 p.m. until 10:30, and we did the measurements and. The signal was double. It was two <laughs> times stronger electrical field. In the morning, it was like 886 millivolts. In the evening, 1.6, which was almost two times stronger. And it was much more pronounced signal within uh, this frequency of 28.8 wow. kilohertz. So, ding, 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 ding. Not only the, the moon eclipse, also, we had very interesting lineup of the cosmical bodies. We had the same line, our Sun, Venus, Earth, Mars, and Jupiter was not far off. So almost five cosmic bodies were in the same line, and we had a total moon eclipse. And the result, the energy of our planet was much, much stronger, telling us those other cosmic bodies does influence our planet. And if you have pyramids which amplifies the planetary energies with the help of other planets, it is much stronger effect. Wow. Okay, so my idea that one could use this ancient network if you wired the pyramids properly and connected them by satellite so you had simultaneous readings, you know, like like, like in a grid around the world, like Monk's mathematical grid, they could be used as hyperdimensional change detectors. And the reason that's important is because if earthquakes really are the result of strain released by changes in the ether or in the torsion field, then you would have an early warning network because we know now from decades of past data, going back through the Soviets, through uh, Kozarev, that when there's a flare on the sun, there is a change in the rotation of the earth, a kind of a jerk, a kind of a sudden motion that's not smooth, that can be monitored by, um, a, you know, a microwave, you know, maser cavity clocks, ultra stable atomic clocks against the rotation of the planet, looking at stars in, in certain telescopes, like at uh, uh, the vice president's home, there at the observatory, the Naval Observatory in Washington. Anyway, what people don't know is that the change in the rotation of the Earth precedes the events on the sun. It isn't flares on the sun that causes changes in the rotation of the planet. 
it's something a third party standing aside from both the earth physics and the solar physics that lights up first then the effect is transmitted through the earth less massive and then finally the sun so what happened the other day with the turkish earthquake if i'm right the right hyperdimensional network of pyramids properly wired would give a tremor in the force before the earthquake and you could evacuate people and so many fewer would have had to have lost their lives. It is very possible and it would be amazing. But also one more thing. And, and it's, not a, it's not a fortune. This could be crowdsourced and you could do this with amateur yes. scientists and you don't have to wire everybody, just a few around the planet so you get a global coverage and then you see what signals you're getting and I, I, I know categorically that that modulation of inertia is one of the things the pyramids can do because I've measured it. Robin and I measured it for decades. Excellent. And I'll tell you my personal experience when it comes to the earthquakes. You know, here in central Bosnia, five, six years back, we did have several, uh, let's say, mild earthquakes of 4, 4.2, 4.5. Now, 4.5 is not really so mild. You can feel the earth is moving under your feet. And uh, I remember I had a, a group of visitors in the tunnels. 4.5, you would expect that you would you know, experience some troubles in the tunnels. Instead, we felt nothing. When I got outside the tunnels... Wait, wait, wait. wait. You mean you should have, under normal physics, sound wave transmission, etc., felt a 4.5 in the tunnels right. but we what can't. happened especially, you felt nothing because we have a wooden support and you would expect that it would collapse nothing moved inside the tunnels we got outside the tunnels well, wait wait that means it's doing something to the inertia of the rock well uh, it seems to me that all this energy phenomena within the tunnels somehow neutralize the earthquake's movement. What is the earthquake? It's, you know, the mechanical weights. Is there a way to neutralize or at least to minimize those mechanical weights? I think there is. So well, wait, wait, wait. Is, is, isn't, there, isn't there a science, something called solitons, that manipulates sound waves to achieve other effects? There you go. What I think, Richard, is that the pyramid could be used Maybe not to prevent, but to minimize the effect of huge earthquakes. Like a damping field. Yes. You know, like in Sicily, we have a half ring of pyramids. We have 43 pyramids around the volcano. So instead of huge volcano eruptions, or instead of huge earthquakes, the pyramid helps to make uh, not one big eruption or not one big earthquake, but a series of smaller ones. And I think that should be one of more purposes of pyramids. Building pyramids in the, you know, in such zones, in such areas, which are prone to the earthquakes or volcanic eruptions. Wow. And that can be easily tested. You can absolutely, you know, you wire these up with modern social media and smartphones and satellites. I mean, it's 
the network is almost built for you. Yes. So, you know, when I experienced that uh, five years back, you know, in Bosnia, uh, in those tunnels with the earthquakes of 5.5, and we felt nothing in the tunnels, I knew immediately that the pyramids had something to do with the earthquakes as well, or, you know, with the tectonic movements. Unfortunately, no pyramids in eastern Turkey or northwestern Syria, no pyramids in, you know, in California, no pyramids in the Philippines, no pyramids in those areas where there is a, such a huge tectonic movement, which is really pity. What about your billionaire Moscow friend? Which one? I think it's Goldson, Goldman. What, remember, he built those huge pyramids. Uh, oh, Vladimir Golod. Yeah, go, yeah. Golov, Golov. Vladimir Golod, he uh, built uh, 16 pyramids in Ukraine and uh, Russia. And uh, probably the best known is the one built in uh, near Moscow. And uh, it was a very interesting pyramid. It was 44 meters high. It was about, you know, 160 feet in height. And uh, he built it from the polyester. You know, polyester is, uh, you know, some type of the plastic material. But still, he was able to measure several interesting phenomena. One is, of course, uh, uh, you know, the healing aspect. And one is social aspect, which we, which we haven't discussed. What he did, he had uh, uh, five tons of kitchen salt, which he placed in, in his pyramids for 30 days. And then he had a contract with a, a nearby prison. And the prison had 6,000 prisoners. And he took the salt into the prison and he asked them to use the salt during the breakfast and lunch and dinner. Three months later, he went back to the prison asking those uh, you know, department chiefs if they could notice any uh, differences in the prisoners' uh, uh, behaviors. Mm. And they told him, it was amazing. It looked like that the violence level was reduced to zero percent. Oh, my God. I mean, we are talking about the prison of 6,000 prisoners. It was a big prison. And you know the prisoners, they always like to play with the knives and the guns and, the, you know, they blackmail, they threaten. The, the violence level was reduced to zero. Wow. So he was, he was telling me about this in his dacha, you know, in Moscow, very, very close to the pyramid side. And, uh, but he was very sad because he said after a year, after his contract expired, he went to sign uh, another one to renew the contract, and they told him no. They didn't want to renew the contract. Mm. It seems that the government wants us to be violent, so you know they can suppress us, they can have the police and all other stuff. But this experiment has proven that the pyramid energy affects humans, affects our social organization. Instead of being violent, instead of, you know, having hatred, you know, jealousy and stuff like that, it can cause some other things, you know, the friendship, the peaceful environment, and so on. So the pyramid energy is so powerful, Richard. In our case, the healing aspect is 
so pronounced in the last uh, so many years, 15, 16 years. We have been having so many healing testimonials. I was telling you about them years back. You know, people come with uh, some very serious conditions. And after a week spent in the pyramid, you know, people usually go to the pyramid tunnels one hour in the morning, one hour in the evening. They take a walk in our beautiful park, they go back to the pyramid tunnels. And after a week or after 10 days, they go back to their doctors and they can see revolutionary improvement of their health. So what's happening inside? Do you have more of this documented than we talked about the last time? Many, many more. We even did our own medical study. We took 20 people who never went to the tunnels before. We did their measurements. As a matter of fact, they did their blood sample and urine sample in the hospital before entering the tunnels. And they did uh, about 30 different parameters, you know, blood pressure, sugar, so on and so forth, before entering the tunnels. And immediately after the tunnels, 19 out of 20 cases had a major improvement of their health condition. So, uh, you know, what we do, we always say, well, we are not really in healing business. We don't give medical guarantees. You know, our foundation, you know, we are established for the geoarchaeological work. But what we do, we measure. And this is what we measure. We measure the combination of nine different energy phenomena. And they create such perfectly safe and healthy environment. Which nine phenomena? Very briefly. The first five is the absence of all, uh, you know, negative or bad, you know, um, energy rays. For example, uh, cosmic rays. They're coming our ways. Some of them are really damaging to our body. And uh, our body cells, they fight those enemies. In the tunnels, 120 feet below the ground, no, you know, bad cosmic radiations. The second one is the natural radioactivity coming from underground. So we use Geiger-Miller counters and we measure the radioactivity. And the values are 10 to 20 times lower Mm. than the minimum allowed. So no radioactivity. And as we know, if radioactivity is hitting our body, you know, it's very damaging to our health. Number three. Hang on, hang on. Have you yes. measured artificial radioactive sources brought into the tunnels measured in that environment compared to lab studies on the surface? Of course. You know, we are surrounded by bad uh, EM, uh, like bad electromagnetism. You know, uh, the cell phones. Of course, we have a signal, whether it is 3G or 4G or 5G. The moment you start talking on your cell phone, keeping the phone you know, near your ear, you know, it is going to burn 100,000 of the brain cells in 10 minutes. So it's very bad frequency. You know, 3G is 2.4 mm. gigahertz, 4G is 6, 5G is 28, 39 or 60 gigahertz. 6G tomorrow will be 300 gigahertz. It's devastating to our health. Well, in the tunnels, no signal for the cell phone. 
in the tunnel, no signal for the Wi-Fi. These are all bad, you know, electromagnetic uh, uh, radiations. And what we do measure in the tunnel, we do measure the best electromagnetic frequency, this is the EM frequency of the planet, 28 kilohertz, the best ultrasound frequency, the levitation frequency, the original Schumann resonance, 7.83 hertz. And guess what? When you are close to the, you know, to the big cities, very contaminated areas, it's not 7.83 anymore. It's 12, 15, or 18 hertz. So, and the last thing, the number nine, is the high concentration of negative ions. So, when you combine all those nine, you know, energy phenomena, being in the tunnels is the safest place on the planet. So what's <laughs> happening? Our body cells don't have enemies. So they can start doing their job. What is their job? To start fixing the problems in our body. To start the regeneration process. Somebody has high blood pressure. Somebody has high sugar in the blood. Somebody has mental problem. Somebody has tumor and so on. And the regeneration process starts. Sometimes it takes a little bit longer, but we've been witnessing this process in the last 15 years. So healing aspect, protection of health, but also the healing is so important when it comes to the purpose of the pyramid energy. One of the things that Rob and I discovered in um, uh, Guatemala was that you don't have to be in the pyramid complex or on it or in it to be able to measure the effects miles away. It's like if you assemble enough mass in the right geometry made out of the right materials, the amplifier is like a bubble that extends for miles and miles into the countryside far beyond the, the outlines of wherever the pyramid temple was actually erected. I believe you are right, uh, Richard. I think when I originally built, when, <laughs> yes, when our planet was much stronger, energetically much stronger than it is today, you know, after that uh, huge deluge and uh, biblical floods and the end of the ice uh, age, uh, I think that uh, it, uh, our planet, our mother planet, has uh, become much, much weaker. So when you amplify already strong energy, the effects will be felt hundreds of miles around, so in, in, in a big radius. And nowadays, it is uh, much smaller than before. But since the Mayan world has so many pyramid sites, I would say at least 100,000 pyramids were built by Mayans in what we call today Mexico, Guatemala, Honduras, El Salvador, mm. and Belize. 100,000. Well, the, the, whole, the whole Yucatan Peninsula. Yucatan Peninsula, of course, it's the, 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 the most dense. But you take, for example, Palenque, which is close to Yucatan Peninsula. Palenque, there are 25 uncovered pyramids. You know, most of them are state pyramids. But originally, they had 1,229. So what we uncovered is 3%. So only 3%. So majority of their cities are still covered. 
by forests, they are in jungles. And that's the reason why the application of the new technology, LIDAR technology in archaeology became so important, and we can talk about it after the break. Well, you got these time hacks down. My guest this morning is Dr. Sam Esmanagic. We're going to be joined now at the top of the hour by um, uh, uh, Tim Saunders and Kinthea is with us, and I think Barbara Honiger is going to peek in for a, a few things she wants to say. Because I'm, 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 as the lawyers say, we're building foundation to where Carmen, our friend and departed colleague Carmen Bolter, got interested in Bosnia. Uh, separate from her ancient uh, research in uh, in ancient ancient Egypt. Anyway, we are, you are, on the other side of midnight. My name is Richard C. Hoagland. We shall return. Other side of midnight.com. Tune in to listen to Richard C. Hogland and his fascinating guests. Support the broadcast and don't miss another groundbreaking conversation. Join Club 19.5 to get access to exclusive member benefits. Listen to past episodes anytime on any device. Search the archives of over 180 episodes. Membership costs $9.95 a month, 33 cents a day. Talk radio at the cutting of science and thought. The other side is midnight.com. And welcome back, everyone, on the other side of midnight for this Saturday night grading into Sunday morning. Um, Kintia, you want to ask a question? Absolutely. Kintia is with us. She is our uh, executive art director for the other side of mission and the inter- other side of mission, the other side of midnight and the enterprise mission. I'll get it out there. So what do you want to ask Sam? So good evening, Sam. Good evening, all. I really am enjoying the show quite a lot. So as you were talking about all the measurements you're doing down in the pyramid and how it's impacting health, I'm wondering what kind of observations you've made about uh, consciousness. Are people doing meditations down there or is it in some way, are you noticing different kinds of uh, mental states? 
as uh, people spend time in the pyramid. That's one part of my conversation. And the other is having to do with a 432 frequency that's supposed to be a healing frequency. And if that ties in with your work as well. Hello, Kintia. Uh, thanks a lot. It's very good to have you here also. Now, I always like to uh, define stuff. When it comes to the consciousness, when it comes to spirituality, I'd like to make a very clear definition of what we are talking about. You know, when I was young, a few decades back, they were telling us that spirituality equals religion or religious. Uh, I disagree with that. Religion is something else. Faith is something else. Spirituality, mm-hmm. for me, is a, a development of spiritual senses so we can experience the world beyond the physical reality. So we do have uh, five physical senses, so we can sense the physical reality, you know, we can hear, we can see, we can, you know, touch and so on. But besides the physical senses, we also have spiritual senses. We can feel the energy. That's not the physical sense. That's a spiritual sense. Mm -hmm. We can see the energy. For example, some people can see our bioenergy field or colloquially called auric field. Some people Mm -hmm. can see that. Some people can see the chakras, you know, those seven big energy intersections in our body. So for me, it seems that the pyramid energy can help us to develop spiritual senses. Beautiful. When you go to the tunnels, uh, one of the experiments that we do and we uh, you know, trained our 36 official guides to do when they bring the groups in the tunnels, uh, they do little experiments. You know, there are several big blocks which we analyze, they are artificially made, they are actually uh, artificially made ceramic blocks. One of them is eight tons, 18,000 pounds. So you open your hand, you get in close to this block, you can feel energy going through your fingers. So this is not something that we, you know, where we use the physical senses, but that's the first spiritual sense, to feel the energy. So we notice that people who have never in their life felt the energy, in our case, they start using their spiritual sense. And it seems if we develop our spiritual senses, then our world would look totally different. For example, what we can hear is on the scale from 20 hertz to 20 kilohertz. About 20 kilohertz is called the ultrasound. We cannot hear it but we can measure it. It does exist. But we don't hear 30 kilohertz, 50 kilohertz, megahertz, gigahertz. So we don't hear the biggest scale. Also, we don't hear anything below 20 hertz, 10 hertz, 8 hertz. This is called infrasound. Imagine that we can hear. Mm. In our life, our world would look differently. Imagine that we can see more than only those seven colors. It is very, very small scale. We don't see 99.97% of the world around us. For example, my cat or my dog, they can see more. 
they can hear more. So, for example, I had a cat. He would be looking like a couple of feet above my head. So he would be focused there like somebody is there. Mm-hmm. I would look up, I don't see <laughs> and he's seeing something. And then he started moving his eyes and his head like something is moving above my I don't see nothing. Probably he was seeing some, uh, you know, spiritual entities or maybe ghosts or maybe, you know, spirits. And we are not able to do that. Now, mm-hmm. imagine that we can, you know, develop some of our spiritual senses. And I think that was another purpose of pyramid energy to develop our spiritual senses. Because once you do that, once you become aware that we are not only the physical body, we are much more than that. We have our soul. And our soul is almost forever. Once you realize that, then why would you fear in your life? Why would would you fear the physical death? But it is just the transformation. And we'll discuss Carmen Bolter later. It's just the transformation. So, no need for fear in our life. If we don't fear, why would we fear being, you know, unemployed or being fired by some mean boss? Without the fear, then this social organization would collapse. And it is very wrong. Everything is based on fear. Academia, you know, young assistant professor is feared to say something which is so obvious because this is not a part of the narrative. Young journalists fear to publish the article, which is objective, because there is a narrative, you know, CNN or MSNBC or ABC or Fox or whatever. You know, people in the culture, in sport, in archaeology, they fear to say things because their, you know, managers, their directors, their deans, their rectors, you know, they know they're going to have, you know, consequences. But imagine... If we start telling the truth, if we start telling stuff that are objective, if we start telling the world the way it is, we would change the world around us. If we remove Mm -hmm. fear, we become free. And the pyramid energy can even help us achieving that goal. So when it comes to the consciousness or subconsciousness, I think this is part of the much wider picture which would help us to achieve the state of freedom. I am in so I am so aligned with what you have just said totally. And I I'd like to underline how you mentioned that we our physical senses are such a small aspect of reality. And you know, when, when someone goes, you could take a hundred people, go to the same location, and they will report a hundred different what happens because of their editing. But that editing is so limited because it's based on these few senses. And it's so important right now that we really wake up to the rest of our, to our spiritual senses, to the rest of who we are if we're going to navigate through this world in a joyful, peaceful way and a healthy way. And I love that you have distinguished between religion and spirituality. And I'm curious, those who have spent time in the pyramids, so they, I imagine that they have had these 
awakenings, do they report them lasting after they leave the pyramid? Is it is this sense awakened or do, and remains, or does it go back to sleep when they go back into regular reality? Mm, great question. I will, answer, I will answer with the example. I had, uh, I met three women, you know, they were coming back from the top of the pyramid of the sun in Bosnia, and they were coming to me, they were all smile, and uh, they told me they were three business women from Slovenia. And for the last couple of decades, all they were thinking was business, you know, making the money, paying the bills, you know, uh, no time for laugh, no time, you know, for relax. They were coming from the top of the sun pyramid. They were so happy. They were so relaxed. They were different. They went back to Slovenia, and I stayed in touch with one of them, and she has changed a lot in her life. Uh, she was not happy with the marriage. Next time I saw her, she found, uh, you know, another fellow, and they were both smiling, and she said, that experience at the Bosnian Pyramid site has changed her life. Mm-hmm. So in cases, we can see that they are much more open. They open themselves for the spiritual aspect, and they realize it's not all only, you know, about the money. It's not, you know, going after the money and making the money, but, you know, which is basically, uh, you know, a materialistic aspect of our life. We need to have this balance between physical and spiritual aspects of our life. And I think the pyramid energy does help us to achieve that. Mm-hmm. So uh, an extension of the question is, if we are um, expanding our senses of, of reality, yes. okay, and as we move forward, do we recognize, are we recognizing when we're in the pyramid, the unity of who we are as a global consciousness? Or are we still, because I, this fear paradigm that you speak of, is really based in separation. You know, exactly. that's, that's exactly. it. So, and so, I will with, with another example. Now, Bosnia is surrounded by Croatia and Serbia and other countries of former Yugoslavia. And as you, as you probably know, back in 1990s, we had terrible war or terrible wars in the area. So people who are basically the same people, well, different religions, different nationalities, but the same people, you know, we all speak the same language. Unfortunately, so much tension, you know, among us. People come to the pyramid site. Everybody's smiling. We have people from Croatia and Serbia and Bosnia and Macedonia and Slovenia and so on and so forth. So friendly. Different, you know, uh, mm-hmm. atmosphere. People feel that, you know, we should be united because we think the same. We No discrimination here. They're all so, meeting in the bubble. Yes, so the pyramid energy is helping us healing the area. And uh, it doesn't matter. Of course, we can recognize who's coming from Belgrade or who's coming from Zagreb because a little bit different dialect. But everybody is so friendly here. It's a different type of vibration. And when I use this word, I know why am, why am I using it. You know, Nikola Tesla said, you know, if you want to... Uh, discover the secrets of the universe, you need to look at it through the energy, frequency, and vibration. 
And the vibration is maybe the key word here. People vibrate at the same level here. Everybody's mm. so relaxed and so happy. Mm. Not everyone is coming to the Bosnian pyramid sites. You know, like uh, society is basically polarized here. Some people are saying there are pyramids, some people are saying there are no pyramids, some people are, you know, they don't care if the pyramids are there or not. But those who do come, you can feel, you know, how good intentional they are, how they want to change stuff in their life, how they, you know, think differently, how they think, you know, uh, out of the box. How, so I can feel that. Mm-hmm. And then talk, and can, yes. And, and can they feel that even if they don't go inside the pyramid? Are they feeling it if they're well, walking not, around? Well, there's nowhere the near pyramid. the pyramid. They're still in the tunnels miles from the pyramid. Yeah, the, yeah, the... Entrance to the tunnel is 2.4 kilometers, which is 1.3 miles away from the pyramid itself. But mm. the energy does flow through the tunnels because we do measure the same values on the top of the pyramid and in the tunnel. It's well, it's probably why they were—they probably why they were built them. It's probably why they were built because you know you can you can diffuse the energy under the whole area. If you do something deliberate, like create waveguides underground to tunnel to convey the energy. Yes. But if you're outside of the tunnels, if you are living above the tunnels, well, it should are permeate. You still experiencing it? Well, remember, you know I was able to measure miles away from the Kuklukan Pyramid when they stopped on our. Well, we were on a bus tour coming from the ship, and they have a deal with the with the dealers you know, miles away to stop so people can, wait for it, shop. (laughs) So while everybody was shopping, the world's ace shopper and I, Robin and I, stayed in the bus and measured the energies, the frequency changes from the Kukulkan Pyramid, which was five miles down the road. And -hmm. then I compared measurements at the pyramid and there was no difference, no difference. But I must say, that Robin, when I put her in the circuit, she was her own amplifier. She was <laughs> resonant. Well, come on. She was yeah. so resonating with that field and that energy and that history. And I'm so glad we were able to go. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, to answer your question, Kimpia, uh, you know, when you come to our site, the whole site, like for, for example, we have the tunnels, we have beautiful park around it. It's about 200,000 square meters that we, uh, that we maintain. It's, it's a big area. Well, when you come, when you come close, I mean, especially if, if you enter this, this park, people feel differently. They feel the change in the, in the energy. You know, they're coming from the cities, it's the concrete, it's about electromagnetism. It's, they come here, everything is so different. It is like the stress-free zone. And I was going to move there. <laughs> I'm moving there. The well, wait, wait, wait. Kintia's yeah. got a great question, only let's invert it. Have you mm-hmm. found a way, Sam, to democratize the energy and send it like in a carrier, like water, anywhere in the world? You know, when I come and do my presentations, especially the people who 
visited the site. And I go to Germany, to different countries. They said, we just felt the same energy like we did when we visited the tunnels and the pyramids. So it seems that for every one of us who got involved in this project is taking a part of this energy. Ah. Well, wait, 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 wait. hang on, hang on, hang on. Human beings are 90-some percent water, so the energy is imprinting the water. They then go home. They drink other water, but the water within their cells is already imprinted, so it's an imprinting of an imprinting of an imprinting. They carry the pyramid with them. And I'm glad that you mentioned the water. You know, we need a new science, science about the water. We discovered five tunnels with the water, which we analyzed and compared to our regular city water. As you know, our city water, the medical authorities are telling us it is, you know, healthy, you can drink it because there are no viruses and bacteria. Of course, there is no viruses and bacteria because it has been treated with, a, you know, chloride. And it's dead. Which is dead water. And of course, it is energetically dead. In some countries like UK, United Kingdom, they add, you know, fluoride. And fluoride, of course, 50 years back, it was exclusively the poison for the rats. <laughs> now, city water, there are traces of uh, metals. Why? Because we catch it uh, at the mountains in those metal pipes. It flows to the pipes, it melts the metal. When it, when it comes to our kitchens, it flows through the plastic pipes, so it melts the plastic. The water that we drink is energetically dead. It vibrates very low. Now, we've checked the pyramid water. Conventional analysis are telling us no viruses, no bacteria, no fungi. Why? Because of the high concentration of negative ions. They act as the barrier for all the microbes. Number two, pH. As you know, pH from 0 to 14, 7 is neutral. Below 7 is acid environment, not good. Above 7 is alkaline. So we try to keep our city water at around 7, but our blood is not 7. Our blood is 7.35 to 7.45. And guess what? Pyramid water is 7.35. Four, five. It is energetically <laughs> at the best level. But even more importantly, we sent the samples to, unfortunately, late Dr. Masaru Emoto in Japan. Uh, he became famous from 1990s because he would take different samples of the water and he would uh, uh, freeze the water at minus 21 degrees Celsius. And then he would take photos through the electronic microscope. And he concluded different samples, different molecular structures. For example, contaminated water from rivers and lakes, ugly molecular structure. Water exposed to, you know, heavy metal, loud music, ugly molecular structure. No structure at all. But the water that he was telling her, I love you, I love you, I love you. It would change the structure into a beautiful hexagonal structure. Which the shows water. the consciousness was impacting the water. Exactly. So the water that's been exposed to the beautiful cosmic Mozart or Beethoven's music, beautiful hexagonal structure. The water from the, you know, 
uh, under the pyramids in Bosnia, from the pyramid tunnel, a beautiful hexagonal structure with the crystal-like structures. So just by looking at the photo, you can see it is energetically alive. Okay, so if, it, if, if the pyramid and the tunnels are resonating at 28 kilohertz, what does that frequency do to the water? That frequency, but also other energy phenomena, the original Schumann resonance, negative ions, 7.83 hertz, the ultrasound, what it does, it makes this water uh, vibrating very high. This is the healing water. You drink it. It brings your body to the balance. And you are right, Richard, when you say it, it, it brings this print. It, 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 it's imprinted in our bodies. So we start vibrating higher. And everything in our life is about the vibration. When we are violent, when we are jealous, when we are, you know, we vibrate very low. But when we have a love for the whole world, we vibrate high. So what is the purpose of our life? It's not to, you know, grab, you know, material stuff. It is about our vibration. So I think that... Uh, the pyramid builders knew that. That was their secret, the vibration, the water, the food, our spiritual senses, you know, being happy, the health, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So, so many things in one. Well, extending that. So, we know like in Carmen's work where she talks about how the pyramids are lining up with each other. And you've mentioned all these thousands of pyramids in South America, and I'm certain they were lining up with each other. So this is creating these matrix high vibrational grid patterns, you know, consciously creating uh, grid patterns for the societies to be maintained at a, at a higher more expansive consciousness level, would you say? Correct. And when you say grid, I think you're on the right track. And Father Richard will be able to explain that better. You know, when you have pyramids, they amplify the energies. Those very specific frequencies are very beneficial to us. You can use them from the communication and the health and the water and stuff like that. Now, imagine but we need to solve a little technical problem. How to connect all those pyramids around the planet? How to make this network working for us? How to make maybe protective shield around our planet? That will affect the planet from the inside, you know, uh, when it comes to the social organization, when it comes to health, when it comes to all other aspects. So I think the ancients, uh, you know, they are very smart. They they knew how to use the power of one pyramid, but especially the power of thousands of them. Mm-hmm. Well, given that we don't have a lot of earth and dirt and you know rock to work with, what if we were to use the Golov model, which is the artificial pyramids on a big enough scale? How much would it cost to wire the world to change the frequency to make people realize they're more related than not? <laughs> you know, Golod told me that it was 1999. At that time, uh, a lot of talk about the 
uh, holes in uh, ozone layer. At that time, the biggest hole was uh, uh, between Australia and New Zealand. And mm-hmm. he approached the governments of those two countries, offering them to build series of pyramids in order to fix this hole in ozone layer. He was so convinced that he was able to fix it. Instead, you know, they refused to do that. Of course. I think there, is a, you know, there are some people who are extraordinary geniuses who could, uh, using the pyramid energy on large scale, help us build happier society, stronger society, and help us to protect the planet. You know, we just here in the States passed something like a $1.9 trillion infrastructure law. So over the next 10 years, monies will be spent on all kinds of infrastructure projects. Given what I know of how this money is usually distributed, I'm just wondering if the right nonprofit, hint, hint, Sam, could apply for a federal grant to build a series of these pyramids on a massive go-of scale in the appropriate locations in the states to moderate earthquakes, tornadoes, change consciousness, and basically make it a 10-year program that is partially funded by avant-garde people who have actually funded some of this stuff very clandestinely before in the last couple of decades, and no one knows about it because it was done very, very quietly. Well, wouldn't that be wonderful? You basically answered in, in your own question. I think that would be the one of the solutions for our planet. So we have the pyramid energy, and of course we need to find another source of clean, unlimited, and free energy, which is the solar energy. So combination of the two would bring us much happier life on a different, you know, social basis instead of the elite ruling us 99% of the people we could build you know uh, society based on a just tell you what hold it there my guest this morning is Sam Gamanovich um, we're actually going to be bringing on Tim Saunders and Kinthea will be back and I think Barbara has something she wants to say You're on the other side of midnight. We're now at the witching hour here in the land of enchantment. And this is that very interesting song by Peggy Lee, which the last hour has been devoted to answering. Is that all there is? Break up the booze and have a ball. If that's all there is. And when I was 12 years old, my daddy took me to the circus. The greatest show on earth. The other side of midnight.com. Talk radio with pictures on demand. Liberate your hyperdimensional time.
time scale and non-linearly access over 400 hours of conversation at the cutting edge of science and thought. Join Club 19.5 to get access to exclusive content that fits your interests and time schedule. Filter episodes by guest or subject. Membership costs $9.95 a month, $0.33 cents a day. Talk radio with pictures on demand. The other side of midnight.com. And welcome back, everyone, on this now Sunday night, uh, Saturday-Sunday combo here in the Land of Enchantment. Okay, um, we've, got, uh, we've got time for Timothy and time for Barbara. So why don't we bring them on, and then we can have this amazing conversation about the perceptibility, the perceptivity of our um, departed friend and colleague, uh, Carmen Bolter. So, Tim, any reactions to what you've heard so far? Absolutely. You guys are having a fascinating conversation. Okay. The, I presume you so, want to add to it. Certainly do. There's so many dots to, to try and join, and I think some are falling into place. Uh, first of all, I'm 2,000 miles away uh, from Sam, so Sam's probably feeling a little bit earlier than I am. It's most definitely morning here. Uh, the earthquake, the earthquake toll, I'm just doing a little recap in, in Turkey. It's estimated as being over 50,000 people, uh, 50,000 deaths so far. But from sort of secondhand opinions or people that have actually visited that area, uh, I'm hearing that estimates of something like 80,000 buildings have, have gone. Oh my, my. So you don't really need to do you know, very much mathematics there to work out that I think 50 is probably likely to grow higher as more people go there and, and more accurate reports, more independent reports are made. So I don't wish to give you a downer, but don't believe what you see on TV. <laughs> um, so that's terrible, which then leads to the next point, which is you made reference to the Earth's core apparently changing speed. And that's fascinating, in my opinion, because I, while you guys were talking about that, I made a little sketch, and uh, I just drew simply a little circle, which is, you know, represents the Earth and the core, another one inside the core. And then I, I drew a number of pyramids around the circumference, this, this little circle, represented by, or representing the pyramids. So if the pyramids actually are able to channel focus energy into the network that Kintia is also mentioning earlier. And if that is the case, is there a correlation, do you think, between the sort of the, these pyramids governing or, or almost like the quartz crystal that governs the, you know, the timekeeping in a Swiss watch, for example, 
Do you think there's some correlation there that the core is governed? And then the next point I wanted to make very quickly is if the core does change, uh, does change speed, then is that what's causing the polar shift, which I believe is growing up to 40 years, sorry, 40 miles of drift every year? I'll, I'll pause there a second. Between any, the magnetic and the uh, celestial pole. Yes. Yeah. Sam? Uh, when it comes to the uh, movement of the magnetic pole, it's, uh, uh, it's been changing. Like 120 years ago, it was like six kilometers, or so about four miles a year. So the magnetic north moves between uh, Canada and Siberia. But uh, last few years, it's a uh, uh, much bigger range. Uh, it was like last year, it was about 60 kilometers. So it is almost 40 miles, and you are right there. Something is obviously happening. Does it have something to do with the core? I'm not sure. I, you know, I'm not a physicist. Probably it does. Does it have something to do with what we do to the planet with our technology? Probably yes. So obviously we are not doing so much good to the planet. And uh, uh, can pyramid energy help there? Well, I'm not sure. There. So I think there are many, many questions at this point. Uh, the pole shift, if it does happen, I don't think that uh, uh, there will be any living soul on this planet left. So if the pole, you know... If a physical uh, polar shift and inertial restructuring were to take place, you don't think anybody would be left alive. Exactly. Exactly right. Well, that, that's a fascinating topic, and I'm very happy that you've gone that way. Because if we look at the work that Carmen was doing in the Pyramid Code, and obviously she was, I think, providing like a cutting-edge edge platform to uh, all of the other independent scientists around the world making their discoveries and uh, so it i watched the pyramid code literally i think i think it was what two weeks ago and mm. it was just forward and today than it was then <laughs> forward and backwards yeah forward and backwards exactly richard you're exactly but w- what i wanted to get to is that it the there are also parallels with graham hancock's latest series of ancient apocalypse and his, his theories he's been writing about for decades that you know the there are so many different flood stories in in all of our different cultures around the world and the only thing that seems to remain uh, are these huge monuments like these pyramids monuments maybe they're machines so Sam I think that if there's nobody left on the planet after a, a pole shift because of the you know the flooding from the seas moving at a different speed yeah then, then how are we here? That would be my next question. Well, that's a good question. Uh, what we can see that instead of the theory of evolution, uh, we need to bring up some new theories. For example, man, uh, Homo sapiens, is not a product of the evolution. Because if you take Neanderthals, uh, they are on the top of the animal kingdom. But then all of the sudden, uh, 400,000 years back, 
we have basically new species, the intelligent, artistic, the homo sapiens. It seems that we are product of the genetical engineering. Uh, if you go much deeper in the past. Or, or Sam, yes. they could be migrants from the family coming to the earth or returning to the earth after having left a much longer period before. Or a combination of both. Exactly. Yes, yes, yes. It's, it's very possible. And it seems that our planet has been experimental field for uh, some other civilizations. For example, you know, they're telling us 75 million years ago, due to the comet or meteor, you know, the uh, dinosaurs were extinct. And then all of a sudden, within the matter of one or two thousand years, you have such a wide range of mammals. I mean, it would be impossible to get so many different species of mammals within a couple of thousands of years if we respect what Darwinism was claiming. For me, it looks like somebody said, well, we're not happy with those huge, bulky animals, dinosaurs. Let's try with something else, which would be more accustomed to this planet. So uh, what do we know about the planetary past? I don't think we know much. We can uh, hypothesize. But I think the same goes for the humans. And I think there was not only one single intervention when it comes to homo sapiens, but several interventions by several different species, more advanced than us. Well, I, I certainly do not pull that out. I think, I think it's, it's right under our feet. But most people are too programmed to, uh, to look. See, what I like about all this is that several different investigators looking at this from their own perspectives, their own research, Sam, Carmen, me, um, John Anthony West, um, Bill Cody, whatever, Boris, Boris Saeed, we all arrived independently at about the same date, which is roughly 30,000 years. I got it directly from John Anthony West, who said that the pavement on the Giza Plateau, the flat, big, big, huge stones or rocks, or, or, or blocks, which can be seen at the edge of the plateau in cross-section, he always said to me that was about 30,000 years old. And that, Sam, is the origin, I believe, of the Giza Plateau template, the geometry, the architecture, which, to answer your question, Kanthea, is filled with 432s in every conceivable fashion, from feet to yards to miles to frequency, it's over and over and over again all over the Giza Plateau, which means the plateau was designed according to hyperdimensional physics. It was a part of a design. The whole plateau with the pyramids, the three big pyramids, and uh, now seven, maybe ten or more pyramids uh, at original times, it's very unfortunate that Egyptologists jealously guard the site, and you cannot go there independently verify literally anything. But what we do know, and probably you know, Richard, that on the Giza Plateau, there are millions of those small, you know, seashells. And uh, those seashells, they came from the Mediterranean Sea. 
And the Giza is 180 kilometers, more than 100 miles away ah. from the Mediterranean Sea. So obviously it was exposed to the flood water when 12,000 years back. They came when, on a wave, a big one. Many, yes. many. When uh, you know, El Mamnun uh, entered the pyramid violently 1,200 years back, what they discovered at the base, at the lower levels of the Great Plain of Egypt, was the sea salt and the seashells, meaning the pyramid was exposed to that tsunami or to that, to that last flood wave, or the pyramid was already there 12,000 years ago. So it is not 4,550, but it is 12,000 plus. Well, how many years plus? When we go again to the science, to the artifacts, for me, probably the, the most important artifact from Egypt is not really in Egypt. It is Turin King List, which is the papyrus in the uh, Egyptian mu- Museum in uh, Turin, Italy. This papyrus is 1.7 meters long, 45 centimeters wide, and it has 11 columns with the hieroglyphic writings. And it shows the list of all rulers in Egypt. Three phases. The last phase, phase number three, shows the sons of gods. Egyptian rulers never called themselves pharaohs or kings but the sons of gods wanted to show to their people that they have direct link to the gods. And it started 5,100 years back with the King Menem, you know, who united Lower and Upper Egypt. And then you have, you know, the First Dynasty, the Second, Third, and so on and so forth. The phase before that, the phase two, was the phase of demigods and mythical kings. They would rule Egypt 200, 300 years each, each. And the phase number one is the phase of the gods. And those gods, and those gods ruled Egypt 1,000 years each. So now imagine beings living for 1,000 years. And they started their rule. 42,500 years back. <laughs> and they ruled Egypt until 16,000 years ago. Meaning that in this period, we had the rulers ruling 1,000 years each, 20,000, 30,000, 40,000 years back. And for me, this is the period when the pyramid complex in Egypt was built. When exactly, we don't know. The only thing that we do know is that four radiocarbon dating was performed. And it showed results much older than 4,500 years or the era of the you know, pharaohs of the fourth dynasty. So how did the numbers get cooked? I'm sorry? How did the numbers get cooked? How did we get sold a lie that's like one-tenth of the actual documentable history of Giza. Well, of course, you know, the elites, they want to show us that we are still in the infant phase, that we as a civilization, we are still babies, and the babies, they all need someone to nurture them, so we give our rights to the elites that they can lead us, corporate, political, religious, and so on. And to the Egyptologists, to Egyptians, 
Of course, for them, it's good for their pride, thinking that they are direct descendants of those glorious pharaohs from 4,000 years back who built those pyramids, obelisks, temples, and so on. So they live in this, uh, you know, in this world which is based on untruths. In science, what we do need are the scientific arguments. And dating is such important part. We still can do some radiocarbon dating. We still can do some luminescence analysis. We still can do some uranium thorium analysis. Whatever is available to our science, even though it, it is not 100% precise, but if it is plus minus 10%, it can help us. They don't let us establishment. They don't let us to independently verify. And that's one thing I really admire about Carmen Balzer. Carmen Balzer, what she did, she was applying interdisciplinary scientific approach. Unlike Egyptologists and archaeologists who are so limited with their knowledge and approach. Carmen was doing not only classical sciences, archaeology and geology, but she was doing astrophysics. She was doing, you know, uh, different types of the energy measurements. As a matter of fact, we were applying the same techniques developed by Dr. Harry also. Dr. Harry was, uh, uh, he invented so-called PIP technology, polycontrast interference photography, with which you could see energy phenomena not visible to the naked human eye. She was using this camera. We've been using this camera in Bosnia. And she, she was able to say, hey, look at those energy fields. Pyramid has something to do with the energy amplification. Pyramid has some healing, you know, capabilities. And when she came to Bosnia, when she saw what we did, she could perfectly understand everything. For example, above the active pyramids, you can see vertical energy fields above all other areas, above, you know, natural phenomena, you know, natural mountains, above, above the cities and so on, those fields are horizontal. But above the pyramids, you can see vertical. Why? Because inside the pyramid, energy is getting accumulated. It's going through the top hitting those horizontal energy fields, and they become vertical. So she was one person that could perfectly understand that because she was applying the same technology in Egypt. And I'm so, so, so sorry that she could not carry on her research in Havara because there was some geophysical uh, scanning showing that under the desert dust, there was a huge temple probably the largest temple in Egypt. Unfortunately, you know, establishment stopped her and stopped some other independent researchers because under the, 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 the desert in Egypt, there are so many more things to discover and uncover. <laughs> that is the perfect segue to Barbara Honiger, who was waiting on the line. Barbara, Sam. Sam, you know uh, Barbara's background with the Reagan administration, she was involved with NASA and some regulations under the Reagan years, and she's gone on to uh, serve sterlingly on the Lawyers uh, Committee for Independent Truth, but she's got this incredible focus on ancient Egypt, and she's got a model, 
So, Barbara, why don't you talk to Sam about the serious point? Uh, can you hear me okay? Wonderfully. <laughs> okay. Yes, yes. Um, my, my Internet connection is going in and out. So, in the background, on very low volume, I have your blog talk connection. So, if I cut out here, maybe you'll be able to hear me if I put my phone and continue. Is that all right? Perfectly, yes. Go ahead. Okay, good. Well, first off, Sam, it's so great that you're on again. Um, you are definitely one of our, um, let us call it our international or gold treasures, um, for obvious reasons. Uh, you're the real Indiana Jones, <laughs> and uh, you've obviously found the grail on the planet. It's called the Bosnia Pyramid. Um, so I have, I have, I think... A comment, and then I have three questions, and if you can't remember all the questions, you can ask me again. Um, the first thing I wanted to mention is that uh, at the beginning of the program, which I'm presuming you heard, Sam, um, Richard, one of Richard's, I think it's third, second or third item, um, was about the uh, shift in the rotation of the um, uh, of the core of the Earth. Well. Um, before this program I sent Richard, maybe he didn't see it yet to post, but just recently, and I'm sure it's from research previous, but it just came out like in the New York Times a few days ago. There is a peer-reviewed journal. There's another there is, inner, inner core. There is an inner core of the core of the Earth. It's only about... 400 miles in uh, in diameter, and it's uh, of the same material, um, which is iron nickel, but it's of a different crystalline structure. Um, so this is very important, um, I think, for this discussion. So, so um, my questions are this. Okay, um, the first one is. This may surprise you. I don't know if you've ever been asked this before, but I was uh, guided to ask these questions. Um, the first one is, has anyone either given birth or died in the Bosnian Great Pyramid? Oh, what an interesting um, question. Wow. Number one. Number two, if they haven't actually died there, um, has anyone who has died been brought there? And if so, can you tell us what might have Number three, um, have you been able to determine from any objects or any other part of your research the belief system um, that was associated with the builders and users of these pyramids in the ancient past? Because we have a lot of information about the belief system, for instance, the Osiris, uh, the Osiris, Isis, Horus, Set. Uh, belief system of the ancient Egyptians. Is there any information that you have gleaned about the potential belief system of these people? And um, I think that that'll do it for now. <laughs> oh, God. And well, I'll, then I'll tell you about my finding with Carmen about the serious point in, in Egypt after, after you answer. Uh, thanks a lot, Barbara. Thanks for the compliments. Uh, to answer your first two questions, uh, if anybody died or got uh, birth or got born, uh, the answer is no, no. So nobody um, has died at the sites while touring or anything like that. 
As far as the belief system, and you mentioned some of the Egyptian gods uh, or mythical gods, whenever it comes to myths, myths uh, got their origins from legends, and legends are usually based on some real events. When it comes to those names that you just mentioned, I believe that they were actually uh, living persons maybe not humans, but living persons who did rule Egypt tens of thousands of years back. Right. Have you found any of those names here in Bosnia? No, or not yet. I did mention those five questions in archaeology. What? Pyramid complex. Who? Well, we don't know who, but it was somebody who knew how to manipulate materials, who knew how to get very specific frequencies when more than 30,000 years back, how, for example, on the Bosnian Pyramid of the Sun, they used the best quality concrete when it comes to the orientation to the cardinal points. They, they were basically orienting those sites most precisely on the planet. So they were obviously very, very developed. And when it comes to the fifth question, why? Obviously, energy machines that can benefit, can be beneficial for everything from communication to health, water, food, and so on and so forth. So at this point, we don't have names and we don't have belief system. So uh, if the future will bring us something, it's very possible. But at this point, the, the, the construction site, when it comes to the, the original builders, is deserted not finding their bones, they're not finding even their tools, how did they did it, or if they had tools in the classical, you know, terms. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah well, there was an, there, one other question um, was, has anyone who has actually already died uh, been brought into the pyramid? And the reason I ask these questions about no, no, death, no. okay, yeah. well, the reason, the obvious reason I ask them, it's because, of course, the trans, transmutation uh, of the pharaoh is part of the, the mythological or real uh, belief system of the ancient Egyptians um, that are connected to the pyramids in Egypt. So that's the reason I asked the question. Are you open at any point to have someone who has died come into, be brought into the pyramids? Well, that's an interesting idea. And I think, yes, I am open. I am open, so that would be an interesting experiment. Yes, I and agree. Even, even more than that, someone who is willing to die inside the pyramid. About uh, the publicity of uh, <laughs> well, you don't I have to commit think yourself. Think about it. <laughs> you don't have to commit yourself. <laughs> there, okay. there is such an incredible connection between the transmutation at death and after death of the pyramid belief system uh, in Egypt, in ancient Egypt. That's the reason I asked the question. I see. Did you miss one? Has anybody been conceived inside the pyramid, Sam? Oh, conceived. Okay. Now that's an interesting question. (laughs) (laughs) I can see it now. Yes, we're about to make headlines here, Uh folks. Pay attention. The first time, like 15 years back, I had some uh, uh, shamans 
coming from Malaysia. And uh, we were touring the Bosnian Prime of the Sun and he started at a certain point and he said, this place is excellent for the women who cannot get pregnant. If they come here, oh, how interesting. You know, it is going to start certain, you know, uh, events in their bodies so they'll be able to get uh, pregnant. Very interesting. That's part of that, the health. Yes, yeah, that was the first time I heard that. It was probably 2007 or so. Uh-huh. And then in the tunnels. Guys, because, we're, we're at the bottom of the hour. My guest this morning, Sam Edmonigich uh, and Barbara Honiger. And Confia's there in the waiting in the wings. Tim Saunders has been with us and has uh, got a really interesting set of questions. You're on the other side of midnight. One last half hour to go here in the land of enchantment. My name is Richard C. Hoagland. We shall return. Saturday night, grading into Sunday morning here in the Land of Enchantment, where the dawn does come up, sometimes like thunder. Our guest this morning, Sam Monagich, Barbara Honiger, Tim Saunders, and Kinthea, and uh, Keith is back there somewhere waiting in the wings. Tim, did you have any uh, other questions? Because if you don't, uh, we've got a really super question coming from uh, Kinthea. So, Tim?
Well, mine isn't a question. It's just a very brief comment because I do want to hear your questions. I just want to say that uh, years ago in my youth, I had a small pyramid in my living room, and I had a fish, a small little fish who was dying. He was just like floundering around in the aquarium. So I took him and I put him in the pyramid. And what would happen is he would get charged and then he'd start swimming around, swimming around, swimming around, just so active. And then he'd just kind of float down to the bottom and just like rest. And then suddenly he'd be up swimming around, swimming around. And this went on for two days. And I thought, this is, I'm torturing this poor little fish. So I took him out of the pyramid and he passed away. So, you know, when Barbara says about bringing him into the pyramid, I don't know if it's such a good idea because you might not be able to cross over. Mm. <laughs> so that's it. That's all I wanted to share. <laughs> Back to you, Timothy. Well, at some point, I would like to hear Sam's answer about anybody being conceived in the pyramid. <laughs> Maybe you have video cameras or something. Well, I think we're on the verge of some answers, Sam. Go ahead. Well, I, uh, I don't think that... Uh, they are playing in the tunnels or the pyramid, but what I do know, I do have two testimonials from two women from two different countries saying that for five or seven years they could not conceive, they could not get pregnant, and after spending 15 days uh, you know, visiting the tunnels and the pyramids, they got the pregnancy, they got you know, healthy uh, babies, and they said they did not taking any other therapies, no drugs, no nothing. It was simply visiting the tunnels and being exposed to the pyramid energy. In both cases, I mean, they did have physical, you know, problems. It, it was not a mental problem why they could not get pregnant. It was some physical, anatomical problems. Somehow, miraculously, they got pregnant. So... It seems that uh, amazing stuff are happening when exposed to the pyramid energy, but it requires probably a lot of uh, analysis and uh, um, scientific studies. So it's uh, well. I would imagine you could probably get some <clears throat> volunteers for some more controlled experiments. Yeah, fourteenth <laughs> of February maybe Valentine's Day next year. Yes, yes. <laughs> There we go. It's a new campaign, Sam. I, I would like to also segue slightly to, you were talking about earlier about salt and shells being found in the Egyptian pyramids. Uh, is, is there any evidence of that showing up around your tunnels? Uh, well, in the tunnels, uh, these are the evidences. Now, we are discovering those ceramic blocks. Which, that we know that they are man-made. And when it comes to dating, it's very important in the context. So when you find something above that block, obviously the block is older. And we are finding some organic material above the blocks. And when we did the uh, dating, we sent samples to Poland, to Gliwice, Poland, to Germany, to Kiel, lab in the Kiel, and to Oxford, UK. Wow. Uh, Poland lab told us that uh, that piece of organic material, it was, you know, piece of wood, is about uh, 
34,000 years old. The Kiel lab in Germany, they, it was not only radiocarbon uh, uh, lab analysis, it was even more precise. I think they call it ABM analysis. It's still radiocarbon, but ABM. It was uh, 31,200 years. And Oxford never responded. So, number one, we are talking about 3,000 or a little bit about 3,000 years. And uh, when I asked Oxford what was happening, they said that it was not organic material. And what happened, I had a piece of wood which was uh, uh, surrounded by conglomerate. Conglomerate is the combination of uh, uh, pebbles, rocks, and sand. I said, well, I told them, listen, guys, what I did, I took the same piece of wood, cut it in six pieces. I sent two samples to Poland, two samples in Germany, two samples to you guys. And I got the results from Poland and Germany. And I never told anyone before sending what I was going to do. So when these people in Oxford, they realized that it was all organic material, they said, okay, well, our equipment is down, so we're going to let you know. So a month later, they said, well, we accidentally burned this wood. <laughs> so I realized that they were playing around it. Of course. And they thought they were the only lab that I sent those samples to. So then, but it was like, uh, it, was, it was 2007, 15 years back. And then I, I said, well, a lot of politics, even in the scientific world. Mm. Because when you send your samples, you need to specify who's sending it. It was our you know, foundation, Bosnian Pyramid of the Sun Foundation. Yep, yep. Why it was important, I said it is going to determine the age of the tunnels and those artifacts. And probably they did the analysis and they realized it was 3,000 years old. They didn't want to release the results. Uh-huh. So let me but, get this very straight. You, you, have, you found a piece of wood in the tunnels, right? Yes. And you divided the it was, into... The, the wood was not exposed to the oxygen. Otherwise, it wouldn't be there a long time. But it was uh, uh, compacted. It was within uh, the conglomerate. And it was above this uh, huge block, which we called K2, ceramic block, meaning that, you know, uh, it got the later, the later time. So uh, once you, that's why I said that context was important. Once you got the age of the wood, you will get the minimum age of that block. Somebody made it mm. time, and it was made over 30,000 years ago. So it was a huge artifact made by the tunnel builders and the pyramid builders. So, okay, is it your idea maybe that the pyramid complex represents the end of the era at about 30, 31, 32,000 years, but you don't have the beginnings yet? Exactly right. Wow. When we go, when we go to the global catastrophes that would hit our planet in the last 100,000 years, so the last one, obviously, was the end of the last ice age. Somebody saying 13,600, somebody saying 12,000, somebody, and most of them, 11,700. But let's say 12,000. It seems that the one before that was 18,500, and the one before that, 32,000 years ago. So 32,000 was an important event. That was the era, for example, 
there is another important artifact in the Sumer, Sumerian kinglist. Before 32,000, we had God who would rule Sumer 28 to 30,000 years each, and after 32,000, they would rule Sumer 1,000 years each. That would match Egyptian rulers. So 30, 32,000, 34,000 years ago, there was a huge global catastrophe, and our late friend, Dr. Paula Violette, claimed that it was probably the solar flares who would burn the surface of the planet and majority of or, the Or simultaneous with, it was a huge hiccup in the physics because of some sudden state change and that's in the half processional cycle of the 26,000 year processional cycle we're in now. So it appears to be in resonance with the periodic nutation and precession of the planet itself in the solar system amongst all kinds of other processing, rotating, revolving planets. Very possible. Possible, and uh, but I think something huge happened. Yeah, because uh, you know that was the era. Like Sumerian records are telling us that you know that was the end of the of the gods, as they call them, who came from the uh, you know from one kingdom, kingdom of the sky, to kingdom of the earth, and they were preceded by the lesser gods, as they call them. So something huge happened there. And probably you were right, that was the end of the civilization here in Bosnia. Yeah. 30 something thousand years back. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, that's, that's really so exciting. It seems the lesser gods uh, had shorter life spans progressively as well. Because the physics was different. Exactly. I have a question. Um, Go for yeah. it, Barbara. Um, if I understand correctly, I believe that my question needs an answer to the first question. And the first question is, do I understand correctly that it's your best estimate that about 33,600 years ago was when the Pyramid of the Sun was built? Is that approximately correct? Correct. Okay. That's correct. All right. So I'm sure you've looked at the sky map. You've, you've gone on uh, Sky Globe or something, and you've gone back there. What are the alignments to the six, I believe you said, um, major structures there in Bosnia? Do they, I know you call one the sun, the moon, etc., but do they, do any of them align at that period of time with any of the stars, in particular Sirius? That answer I do know. You know how the Egyptians Oh, actually, the Buwal and then later Hancock and Shock, they, they claim that uh, those three pyramids in the Giza Plateau match three stars of the Orion Belt. Uh, as a matter of fact, the third one is always a little bit off. And for some, the uh, star constellation of Cygnus is much better fit. So this is you know, part of the uh, new, let's call it science, you know, um, archaeoastronomy. Well, in our case, it's even uh, more obvious. Namely, five Bosnian pyramids have the same layout as five out of seven 
stars of Pleiades. Uh-huh. Mm. We know about the seven sisters of Pleiades. Yeah, of course. Greek names. But um, the oral traditions about the Pleiades can be found every, literally everywhere, from the Indians, American Indians, to Pueblo Indians, to Anasazis, to Mayans, to, to Indian Indians in India. <laughs> so it's everywhere. So uh, for some reason, it seems that the Pleiades are even much more important than uh, all other star constellations. So okay. uh, the so what bar- happened to the other two pyramids that would have represented? They just didn't get around to building them, presumably. Well, we have a five. You know, at the time when we were doing those calculations, we knew about the five pyramids. In the meantime, we got the sixth one discovered. Uh-huh. But those five pyramids were matching five out of seven uh, stars at the Pleiades constellation. Okay. And one is, one is very obvious because three of the stars, the Pleiades, they form equilateral triangle, the same thing that we have here. Because that triangle in Egypt, the Giza Plateau, it is a triangle, but it is, you know, it's like a random because three points uh, you can connect in uh, unlimited uh, ways, but only one way gives you equilateral triangle uh-huh. with the same length of the sides with the same inner angles at 60 degrees. And that's the reason why equilateral triangle is a part of the sacred geometry. And this is what we have in Bosnia. Because when you draw the line between the top of the Bosnian pyramid of the sun and the top of the moon pyramid, 2,180 meters, 1.3 miles. From the top of the moon to the dragon pyramid in Bosnia, 2,180. From the top of dragon back to the sun, 2,180 meters. So it is so obvious. And of course, Mother Nature does not make hills with the four triangular faces, perfect orientation, and then to put them, you know, uh, in such a beautiful relations, equilateral triangle. And when I mention the orientation, another extremely important element, you can hear Egyptologists, establishment and independent researchers talking about the perfect orientation of the Great Pyramid of Egypt. One side perfectly match the cosmic north. As a matter of fact, the Error is only zero degrees and three minutes. Oh my the second God! Second largest, Kafre. Yes. And 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 and, 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 and zero this, three this is, this is, Hang on, the third Sam. One, hang on, this is, Sam. This is alignment with the rotational pole of the Earth, not magnetic north. Not magnetic. No, magnetic moves. Magnetic is not fixed. The third one, the Mikarinos. Zero degrees, 18 minutes. The fourth one, the bent pyramid in Dakshur, zero degrees, 12 minutes. The fifth one, my favorite, red pyramid, zero degrees, five minutes. You know, when you build a huge structure and you, you are off only zero degrees and three minutes, that's a genius. And guess what? In Bosnia, 
the largest pyramid on the planet. According to the State Institute of Geodesy, we had three engineers who came with a total station. This is this instrument they used. They got connected to the satellite. They did the measurement. The orientation is zero degrees, zero minutes, and the error is only 12 seconds. Oh, my God. 12 seconds is the fraction of Holy one minute. This, this is the most precise on the planet. And now, I know that, you know, Hancock and the others, they are, they are telling this as a remarkable fact. It is a fact, but they don't know why. Egyptologists, they do not know why it's such perfect orientation. Hancock, Shark, all, they don't know why. We do know. Everything is, of course, energy. Tesla said that many people before and after him. Our planet is a huge energy ball, and energy moves. Energy, the, the, the strongest energy flows on this planet are north-south and east-west. So when you build a four-sided pyramid, and you orient it perfectly, this pyramid, this energy flow of the planet initiates movement of the energy within the pyramid. So what we have inside the Great Pyramid of Egypt, inside the Bosnian Pyramid, inside the pyramids in China, Indonesia, and other countries, you have energy flow. And this energy flow goes like, it starts from the bottom, hitting one-third of the pyramid, going to two-thirds of the height, coming back to one-third, completing the circle. If you are exposed to this energy flow, it improves your molecular structure. And that is the reason why back in 1951, we know about this patent from the guy from Czechoslovakia. He built a replica of the Great Pyramid of Egypt on much smaller scale. He perfectly oriented. He put the, used the razor blade. It got sharpened within 24 hours. Why? Because it was exposed to the pyramid energy. And what we've been doing here, we've been investigating this pyramid energy and its beneficial effects. You make a replica of a little pyramid, you put it on your kitchen table, you put a glass of milk inside the little pyramid, you put another, another glass on the table, that one on the table, in three, four days, it's going to go bad. The one in, within the pyramid is going to be good for another three days. You put a piece of meat inside the pyramid, and outside, outside, you know, in two days, you can't eat it no more. Inside, you can eat it for one month. So, they've been exposed to the pyramid energy. And that's why all these elements, the regular geometry, perfect orientation, materials, and all others are so important when it comes to the energy. Well, the way the pyramid has to work on life, Sam, is that you must change the frequency to where it's inimical to microbes. They simply die probably of, of lack of energy, lack of metabolism, and the meat stays fresh because there's nothing eating it because the pyramid field is in dissonance with the field of energy of the little microbes. Excellent. And that's why we need to combine the knowledge of the people right, who, who knew that certain frequency can kill viruses, 
What is the frequency to kill the bacteria? What is the frequency to kill the fungi? And that's the reason why the pharmaceutical industry, you know, destroyed this guy. And that's the reason was, why they don't who, let us. Sam, Sam, who was that doctor here in the 1920s? Uh, William Rice. William Rice, 1920s, 1930s, 1930s. No, 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 no. You know, this was an inventor. He built this incredible super microscope, and he built yes, he built yes. an energy that's technology true. around it to basically zap microbes. That's William Rice. Rice, he invented the electronic microscope. He invented the machine, which was generating certain frequencies with which he was killing the microbes. And he did experiments. Oh, no, 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 it wasn't Reich. That was organ energy, which is the same thing. This was William Reich, R-I-F-E. He was an MD. The FDA got after him, you know, attacked him, destroyed his technology, destroyed his microscope to suppress the physics of of health. It's the same guy, Richard. It's the same guy. It's the same guy. And uh, what he did, he did experiment. He invited the American uh, Medical Association, AMA. He told them, listen, send me two sick or ten sickest guys with the cancer. I'm going to cure them. And this is what they did. And within a couple of weeks, 60% of them were cured. And then another couple of weeks, he cured all of them, 100%. Pharmaceutical industry wanted to buy the patent, wanted to buy the machines. He refused, and they, what they did, they stole all his fine machines. They put his, you know, house on fire. They expelled him from a medical association, and he died, you know, as, as a drunk guy. So, you know, you come into such excellent ideas for societies, and that's basically the end of it. Very strong lobbies, pharmaceutical companies, chemical companies, they don't like that. But the same thing goes for the pyramids. They emit such a powerful energies, which is beneficial so, for so many fields. Carmen, let's mention her one more time. She <laughs> knew that she was on the right track. And then with her pyramid code, with those five episodes, which I think they... They got them in more than 50 countries. You know, she helped to educate people in the right way, to influence them. And even though she was so, you know, independent, she was a brilliant man. And oh, so you think? <laughs> the only person more independent than Carmen was Robin. <clears throat> <laughs> Good. I'm glad. I'm glad. Well, they're sitting somewhere having a drink, I know. We are having a good show today, Richard. You know, last three hours, you know, we have some, uh, some, some good ideas. And, uh, you know, it's always a pleasure to talk to you. And then let me say one more thing. I did not mention that. I sent you an article. People might be able to read it. In the last uh, four years, we've been frequently visited by the most famous and the best tennis player ever, Novak Djokovic. Novak Djokovic not only being the best player ever, he's the man of principles. Sometimes he goes against the whole world. We saw that in Australia. But then eventually he got rewarded. A year ago, they forbid him to enter Australia. The guy who's the healthiest guy on the planet, he was represented as the threat to the public health. He came back, he got trapped. Uh, in Australia just a, a month back. 
He's been coming to Bosnian pyramids. He's the guy who reads a lot. He's the guy who appreciates, you know, the free energy, the clean energy, the healthy environment, harmony with the nature, nutritionism, and that's everything that we also uh, proposed here, you know. Uh, so we got so much uh, common. And uh, last year we even opened the tennis stadium for him. He came, he opened it, he will be coming here, a lot of like-minded people coming here. And uh, I think that uh, it's a power uh, beyond the establishment, power of ordinary people and not so ordinary people. And I think that we do have a power to change ourselves, to change our communities, and to change the world altogether. Wow. Yes. I don't hear you. Well, while we're waiting for the Barbara, let me say one more thing. Since the establishment here was against our project from the very beginning, no money, no permission, stuff like that, we had to be creating. That's why we opened the project for the volunteers from all over the world. In the last 13 years, we have had 3,750 volunteers from 64 countries. They became part of the discovery. They are discovering concrete blocks on the sun pyramids. They are discovering those prehistorical tunnels. They are discovering artifacts, 3,400 of them. They are discovering organic materials that we date. So it's becoming really the most exciting archaeological project ever. And it's so democratized, Sam, because of the way you've set it up so that volunteers get hands-on experience at a place where it's not matched anywhere else in the world in terms of developed exploration, excavation, and real science. No secrets, no confidential information. You go to Egypt, you know, every few steps they're telling you, oh, this is confidential, you cannot go there. You know, it's secret, it's this. Why? (laughs) The knowledge about the ancient pyramids, megalithic sites, is the cultural heritage of the planet. It belongs to all of us. So we should be learning from those structures that they were advanced civilizations. Hey guys, we're at the end of the runway. (laughs) I want to thank my guest this morning, Dr. Sam Asmonigich, Barbara Honiger, Tim Saunders, Kinthea, and uh, we're going to do this all again tomorrow night. We shift focus, some of the same players, because tomorrow night we talk about the China moon and the stunning breakthroughs we've now had in terms of the ancient lunar domes. So until tomorrow night, same bat channel, third star on the left, straight on till morning. Good night, everyone. <laughs>